Podcast for The Last Exorcism Part 2. <laughs> now, you may have thought you were tuning in for a Stoker podcast. That has been delayed uh, <laughs> due to scheduling issues of Vancouver not getting good movies. Yes. But stay, yeah, stay tuned. There will be a Stoker podcast in our future later in March. Uh, but this week, we're going to instead talk a little Last Exorcism Part 2. Uh, my name is Tom Chick, and I am here this week, as every week, with... Christian Muldoonski. We are not Christian Muldoonski. <laughs> <laughs> See, Kelly Wan, that's how you act. <sighs> yeah. I took notes, but I don't know if it'll help. And with a tagline for The Last Exorcism Part 2, Kelly Wan. Gonna need a bigger chicken. <laughs> <laughs> the boat's not gonna feel anything, don't worry. <laughs> I actually had a question about that scene that I will I will ask you later on because I just saw the movie, so we're getting your f- hot, fresh piping, bun warm impression. Exactly, it is not given. I have not given it time to cool. This is uh, fresh out of the oven. Uh, just yeah. cue up that song randomly. Uh, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. So before we actually get into spoilers about the Last Exorcism Part Two. Uh, <laughs> Dingus, why don't you tell us a little bit, spoiler-free, about what this thing is that we saw this week? What are just some of the basics, the essentials, if you will? All right, well, this week we saw Scary Movie 5. A haunted house movie. A supernatural By the way, we saw the trailer for Scary Movie 5. Dingus was quite amused at some of the jokes in that, particularly Charlie Sheen getting whacked in the nuts. Dingus just had a hearty chuckle when that happened. Well, this oh, happened that. before. It was so hot. Yeah. So he's our Leslie Nielsen, our generations. So we saw we saw a scary movie five, at least uh, as far as I was concerned, a supernatural horror not found footage movie about a girl finding out that the last exorcism was really the penultimate one. We hope it was directed by Ed Gass Donnelly and written by him and Damien Chazelle or Chazelle. <laughs> the guy named Damien wrote the movie. Yeah, Damien wrote I don't it. Like that. It stars Ashley Bell, Julia Garner, Spencer Treat, Clark, and Muse Watson. Muse Watson? Yeah. The Last Exorcism Part 2 was rated PG-13 for horror violence, terror, and brief language. (laughs) A brief language. Uh, All right, Last Exorcism Part 2 opened at number four. Ouch. What? Against uh, what? Let's see. Against, um, I think, Snitch and what else opened this week? Is Guy Ritchie? Is that a Snitch? snitch what, what else did we dodge? Oh, Jack the Giant Slayer. Jack the oh, Giant Slayer God. came in. The Brian Singer movie. Uh, that came in number one, of course, but it still didn't do very well. It was a, oh. it was a pretty poor weekend all around for everyone. My um, mom saw Jack the Giant Killer, and she said it was disappointing. That was the exact <laughs> word she used. Like, she went in with high hopes and emerged. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, 
Uh, well, yeah. So even so, Jack the Giant Slayer, and I think Snitch. There was a submarine movie with Ed Harris, I think, called Phantom. Uh, and oh, I want to see that, but it was I, also not playing in the. David Duchovny. I want right. to see David Duchovny doing a Russian accent. Is he Russian in that dingus? I think he is. I think or are you just making like a, a a pseudo KGB kind of a dude? Yeah. Because I, I know another awesome movie you could see about a submarine where someone does a Russian accent. Seaman mm. Belmont. <laughs> a little K nineteen Widowmaker action. Isn't that actually if I'm not mistaken Harrison uh, does one and Liam Neeson doesn't do one, even though they're both Russians. So that's another cool thing about that. And movie. but but the more isn't that a Catherine Bigelow movie? Oh it might oh good job. Yeah, it is a Catherine what do you mean another Tom? I just uh, yeah, for, uh, you know what? That might be her weakest movie. It's no it's no point break. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a dreary bummer, I remember, because they all die. How did you say? How did you say the name of that that uh, surfing movie? Point Break. Point and Break. Is that what you just said? No, Point Break. What? That, that's what it's called. Don't troll me. I know. I know my uh, Keanu Reeves uh, movies. What? How do you say it, Dingus? It's Point Break. It's not point what did break. I just say? Point Break. What? What are you emphasizing a different word? Am I <laughs> emphasizing the wrong word? Yes, of course you are. Point break. What Kelly wants to say the name of the movie. Avatar. <laughs> anyway, so let's see. Last Exorcism Part 2 opened at number four with a paltry $8 million take. That's especially disappointing considering the original Last Exorcism, which did very well, opened at number one, I believe, on its weekend, uh, and its opening weekend made $20 million. So, uh, yeah, this was a huge disappointment commercially. Uh, let's see, uh, on Metacritic, which gauges the, which averages the rating from reviews that use ratings, Last Exorcism Part 2 is at 38 out of 100. Huh. Kelly Wand, please predict the Rotten Tomatoes percentage for Last Exorcism Part 2. This is the percentage of all reviews on Rotten Tomatoes that are positive. What would you guess that number is? 24. Kelly Wand, you're highballing it. It's 13%. Oh, I hate my highballs. <laughs> Fuck! Uh, all right, Wait, so what that, is eighteen percent? Thirteen. That, that is also highballing it. Eighteen percent is highballing it. Thirteen of all the reviews. Yep, of all the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, say, "Hey, Last Exorcism Part Two, I liked it." The other seven, or no, eighty-seven percent. Down the math in a language I can understand. <laughs> the other eighty-seven percent would would say, "Hey, don't bother. Don't go see it. Um, don't bother." Yeah. All right, so there we go. That is our math. Uh, Kelly Wand, if you so you have seen The Last Exorcism, how yeah. about you spoil it for people by sort of detailing the events therein in uh, in some detail? What would you call it if you did such a thing, Kelly Wand? If I did it, mm-hmm. as OJ said, um, wrote, <laughs> I would call it The Last Exorcism Part Tupsis. <laughs> All right. Fairly hypothetical. Well, Kelly Wand, if you have done such a thing, then I want you to drive it like you stole it. <laughs> what happened to you tonight? <laughs> As your friend, I'm going to ask you to come up with a new tagline. <laughs> See, he, made, he usually hate, hates my taglines, and tonight he's just spewing awesome ones. So I see why he's. Okay. Ready? Yes, rock and roll. Drive, oh. I mean, I'm sorry. Drive it like you stole it. <laughs> drive it like you stole it. Drive angrily. The last excerpt, Sism, part two, sis. 
Same cinematographer, by the way. As the first one? No, or it's right. Drive- the- Dingus, you're spoiling the movie. That's a spoiler. <laughs> I'm sorry. Facts. Who can stand them? Hey, I, uh, I started writing a paranormal romance novel. <laughs> Every single one of those words I didn't expect after the preceding word. <laughs> <laughs> Yahoo Serious Film Festival. I'm not going to say what the main heroine chick is, but the love, her love interest shapeshifts into a mummy. It's about time mummies get their due, Kelly Wand. I want you to get on that. Shapeshifts. The Last Exorcism, part two, sis. A guy in the south and his sister lying in bed in the dark. A mulchy fart bellows the sheets. The sister's all, Jesus Christ, Earl. There's going to be a lot of acting in this one. (laughs) I don't know why, because I hate doing it. But it just happens. She gets up and goes to the bathroom to brush her teeth from his fart. He's all, think a demon possessed me. Cold blob wheezing asthmatically slides into bed and spoons him from behind. Is it spoons him or spoons with him? Spoons into him. He's all, hey, baby doll, did your boobs grow antlers? The sister gargles and appears in the bathroom doorway. She's all, not both of them. He hears the slimy creature pressed against his back, wheeze and growl. He's all, little as Tobo? A poodle appears in the bathroom doorway by his sister, panting cheerfully. The dude hears brimstone bones snapping against his sack and a choir of spectral voices murmuring curses in Aramaic against his cheek. He's all, Erlina Jr.? His possessed ten-year-old daughter with red eyes and a forked tail corkscrews her spine into the doorway beside the mom, yawning in Aramaic. The thing pressed against him growls again. He's all, Satan? Satan appears in the bathroom doorway shaving. The dude in bed's all, Me? He appears in the doorway in his bathroom, also shaving. He's all Abe Link. Board Shebe slashes his leg and skitters downstairs. He gets a gun, and he and his sister practice cat-scaring each other a couple times. Then he's all, from what I've seen in the moving picture shows, Mama and Dark Skies, Anticlimax is probably in the kitchen. Cover me somehow. They go into the kitchen, find a bunch of broken appliances, and their house guest perched on the formica and hissing like a deflating slee stack. The dude's all <laughs> right, bitch. <laughs> that I like that, Kelly. One deflating, deflating slee stack is is awesome. Sorry. Thank you. It was so quiet. I was scared. <laughs> the dude's all right, bitch. Has given you the count of three not to do anything. One. His sister comes in with a cell phone. Jasper, it's famous. Says they need you to keep her here. Inject her with the sedative. Put some drops in her eyes to dilute the CG, not get killed, and disappear from the movie. He's all, do we find out why she picked my bed? Satan comes in, glumly raises a shard of broken blender and goes, really? Since FEMA rules are circumstantial at best, the mystery girl's connection with a bunch of dead bodies, the remains of a bonfire, and demon placenta in the nearby woods... Along with their entitlement to the nearby farmhouse covered with occult sigils painted in jackal's blood and occupied by her brother and possibly dad, along with her considerable prominence in the footage shot by the vid camera covered from the same area, she's taken to a doctor in New Orleans who shines a pen light down her throat and nods somberly. He's all, damn, that was my third favorite tongue depressor. 
Anyway, since y'all got the same fingerprints, DNA, and name as the chick who disappeared in this vicinity yesterday, in accordance with state law, we're moving you into a halfway house for actresses typecast as cultists run by Jimmy Smits. Also, the relatives of this magician exorcist you sent mail to and his camera crew keep calling the police, asking, what the fuck? Are we even going to ask you any questions? They're the same boots, even. So just sign this empty clipboard here, and we'll fax it right over to him. He steps aside to reveal Jimmy Smits gesturing grandly at a staircase. Welcome to the whatever this place is, which we put (laughs) put your crucifix in this brown envelope and sealed it with your name on it, but you don't have to wear it. It's your life. You can be anything you want. Although we do encourage newcomers to consider midwifing abominations or Lutheran. Also, accepting the envelopes mandatory. The frizzy albino chick from Mary Marlboroline is all, Hi Nell, guests will be bunking together. Here, listen to Metallica. She gives Nell some headphones. Nell listens appreciatively. Wow, I've never listened to these four words before. Nell gets a job as a radio station not adjuster at the local Motel 6, where she also meets a boy-shaped block of wood. He's a hot... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it, it picks up. Hi, my name's Chris. My name and last name's irrelevant. I'm either your boss or I work at the halfway house and just hang out here. Kelly Wan wasn't listening. Heard you're a virgin, not counting demons. I have a surprise for you later. It's a zoo. <laughs> now tell the friends. <laughs> they're, they're tired. Now also the friends of fellow inmate named Girlfriend, who's also a black chick. They go to a live and let die parade where Nell strokes some slow motion beads. Then they get bored and go to a World War One statue reenactment and gawk at a silver mime. Nell's all, huh, I thought Oz was next week. Brandy playfully raises a megaphone to the silver mime's ear and screeches, Cop it, match the drapes, bitch! She cackles and sashays off. Nell stares at the mime for ten minutes, then claps and goes, Wow, you're really good at doing nothing. A regular Eli Roth. The mime tickles his tin can. (laughs) (sighs) Producer. The mime jingles his tin can full of change irritably. She fishes through the pockets of her hospital gown. Uh, I only got pennies. Will that fuck up your color scheme? My dad taught me that silver coins were a sin. As she bends over to drop the coin in the cup, the mime ominously whispers, (laughs) She's all, what the? But he's mimed out again. She walks over to Jack A and goes, here we are standing over here now. Rihanna's all, looks like somebody likes you. She turns around and the mime's standing right behind her. They hang out with him for ten minutes, but he doesn't move or say anything. Nell's all, well, he's still more lifelike than Chris. They cross the park and head to a busy traffic festival. She sees her dad across the street, only now he's got a thick, bushy, gray Leviticus-style beard. The dad points at her make Satan's horns with his fingers, draws a finger across his throat when a bus passes. He's banished. Nell crosses the street and sees him clinging to the side of the bus. He farts sheepishly and goes into the bus station to catch the 128 downtown, but misses it because he doesn't have exact change. At which point I sagely look over at the lady sitting next to me, jerk my thumb at her eight-year-old and go, Bet this one's going to have nightmares tonight. When she gets back to the halfway house, Brandy and Frizzy and some other chicks are watching a YouTube video of the first last exorcism, entitled Chicken Barn with CG Spinal Column Says Shit. She's all, where'd that video come from? Her BFF's all, I just found it. 
Nell's all, no, I mean, who posted it? Did the police see this? Is this everything we're saying right now also on the internet? <laughs> Brandy's all, y'all got a demon in y'all. <laughs> it's not racist. Just don't... I'm just a bad actor. I'm not... racist on the internet. That... The party breaks up. I'm just holding up a mirror to society said the synopsis. Nell goes to bed in what can only be interpreted as a CG supernatural manifestation. Her hand wakes up and does stuff that results in sexual gratification. And on that date, every date, just as her levitation is achieving the most erogenous altitude, she gets cock-blocked by Chris, like rubber band sound effects at her window. She goes over to it. Chris, you're so manly and rebellious. He shrugs vaguely. She's all, you want me to come down there and throw stuff at my window with you? (laughs) He turns into smoke and disappears with a creepy laugh. Giggling, she goes down and wanders around, but it turns out just to be the demon posing as Chris. It fucks with her and irritates her till she goes back inside and bolts the door, panting. And then she's all, wait, so it cock-blocked me from itself? Her dad jumps out from behind a curtain and goes, No, it's me! She's all, Daddy, what was all that shit with the bus? He's all, It's not important. Good news, baby. I figured out how to beat the demon. He raises a shotgun to her mouth. Just like Abraham and Isaac, baby. She's all, Dad, that ended with God going JK, remember? He's all, Honey, if there's one thing the Bible teaches us, it's that continuity isn't Eli Roth's cup of clang. Mary Magdalene clocks him with a hibachi. Her eyes are missing like the kids in dark skies. She's all, no one can have you but him. Nell's all, uh, I don't think that's what was happening, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, she's sane in the opposite. The next day, things start looking up for Nell. Chris realizes his dick's smaller than a demon's and slits his own throat. A fat buffoon accosts her on the street and goes, hey, look, it's Chickasaw on the internet. Give me a picture with you so my blog gets more hits. Yeehaw! Then he has a seizure and starts foaming at the mouth. Nell sighs and goes to a church. She looks at the stained glass statuary and goes, I'm just not having any luck with men lately, Lord. A dude appears in the doorway to the transept and goes, He loves you. He doesn't normally feel such a strong connection with the women he impregnates and terrorizes. He wrote you this. He gives her a valum time that says... You can't escape me. (laughs) This is so dumb. You can't escape me. I want your soul inside me. My horns are frothy and my lake of fire is hard and pointy for you. The blood of all saints defile thee. XO Abilam. P.S. Texter size me later. She wakes up in a back lot with Angela Bassett crouched over her. Angela Bassett's all, hi, I'm a voodoo exorcist. Not the same black chick who cut off your lock of hair. And not your mime aficionado friend. Come with me. My psychic powers tell me this is all going to work out great. She lets Angela Bassett guide her to a house and strap her to a table. Jackie Earl Haley's all, hi, don't worry, we do this every weekend. (laughs) And unveils a chicken in a cage. Stinky, will you salt the floor, please? A black dude licking his palm with a half-open sack in his lap looks up guiltily. Powdered sugar, okay, boss? Jack Girl Haley nods, waits in silence for the sugar circle to be completed, then places his hands on Nell's boobs, shuts his eyes, and chants, Hamana, 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 
Demon, I command you in Latin to inhabit that chicken. Please. Come on. He opens his eyes. This just isn't working. Her boobs are way too warm. Stinky. He gestures and the black dude starts injecting powdered sugar into his vein. Uh, the patient's vein? Fritz bops his forehead and raises Nell's IV. Nell's all, what's going on? Angela Bassett whispers to Jackie O'Haley, should we tell the truth or wait a couple seconds till the morphine's actually injected? Jackie O'Haley snorts scornfully. We sugared the floor. Relax. The demon assumes Nell's shape and goes, look, I know some of my seduction methods have been a little zany, but I just discovered that for some reason I'm powerless without you, whatever that means. And that kid we had is irrelevant. So let me possess you, which is how my species has sex, and we'll blow up some firemen. Nell saw, you had me at the second finger. Mm. <laughs> the end, dingus. All right, dingus. <clears throat> God. Okay, who here has seen Last Exorcism, part one? Kelly Wand, have you? Yeah. Dingus, have you? Yeah. All right. Dingus, did you watch it recently, or had you seen that before? I forget. Both. Okay. Ah, both. Ah, interesting. Late. Hmm. Well, I know we've... Uh, I, I, well, well uh, I, there are a couple of things that make Last Exorcism, even for the reasons that it doesn't work, that make it absolutely worth watching. Uh, so I, I think we've told Dingus to watch it before. Um, and so, Dingus, it looks like you rewatched it uh, for this week. Uh, yeah, I I really like that movie. I was ah. very surprised at how much I liked it. I, okay. I, I don't know if you're not supposed to, but I I liked it. I think, I think it's worth a found footage movie, and uh, I like I like the actors in it. I, I like I like it a lot. Well, let me then just say what what hurts for me. Last Exorcism is uh, the main actor Patrick Fabian, who is Every bit a TV actor, and I'm sorry to roll out that old trope, but I, I kind of feel he's a, a weak link in it, and it, it focuses a lot on him. I feel like a lot of the found footage stuff is kind of forced and a little tired in Last Exorcism. Um, but what I love about The Last Exorcism is Ashley Bell and, and Caleb Landry Jones, and, and actually the writing. The script has some pretty clever stuff in it. So overall, I do like Last Exorcism. I'm just really disappointed at the, the lead guy. I think... Uh, you know, the character's name is Cotton Marcus. I, I, I think it should have a better actor in that, that role. So that, You're a that's, TV actor. You should I'm not be. even that anymore, Kelly Wan. I'm no. less than a TV actor. <laughs> uh, so uh, that that's my problem with, with Last Exorcism. Um, so, Dingus, you like it. Kelly Wan, where do you fall in Last Exorcism? Uh, well, he was supposed to be a TV actor kind of preacher, so I don't, didn't mind that. That's actually a good point. He is supposed to be a fraud and uh, kind of a lightweight in that sense. But I would have rather just, you know what, fair point, fair point. Um, uh, so that said, then, uh, Dingus, since you've seen Last Exorcism Part 1 most recently, what did you think of Last Exorcism Part 2? Uh, I thought it was... Uh there, there's a reason I said the scary movie thing because uh, I've watched that scary movie uh, preview a couple of times and it is it is so aggressively unfunny. Uh, it's it's astounding to watch it and watch how how hard it looks like they're working not to be funny. And when you watch Last Exorcism Part Two, it's amazing to me how close it gets to being the funny movie that Scary Movie 5, if it were done by somebody with the, the type of uh, sensibility that, some, that the guys who did Airplane could do, 
um, with or with even lighter touch. I mean, Last Exorcism Part Two is almost a comedy. It's so close, and otherwise, I mean, it's just a, a collection of vignettes and cliches. But there's just so it's just so close to being a, a funny movie. It, oh man, I I really. I like that aspect of it. It's it's horrible. It's horribly done. It's absolutely horrible. And and it makes me like The Last Exorcism, the first movie which I did not expect to like at all. Mm-hmm. Uh but the first time I like uh, first time I saw it, I found it creepy and scary and um that element of the the preacher guy and I didn't know Kel Blender Jones before then. Uh I really really liked it the first time I saw it. And this movie is just ridiculous. Kelly Wand, where do you fall on Last Exorcism Part 2? Mm, I think this is right, although <laughs> I like some things about it. Like, I like that it doesn't make any sense. I think that's good for horror movies. And there were parts where I go, it's, it felt like a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Like, just like, well, you don't know whether somebody's sleeping or awake. Mm-hmm. And it's just vaguely creepy, but just from the editing rhythms, because nothing actually creepy is going on. It's like mimes and Mardi Gras. That's <laughs> what Dingus is saying. And I really like the ending, and I like that it wasn't found footage. That was kind of a bold choice. But it really synced up really weirdly and lamely with the first movie. Um, and it didn't have anyone for her to play off of. It wasn't okay. the first movie it had the TV actor who me and Dingus like. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, what's it, Pat, you Patrick Fabian apologists. Uh, but it's like the like when someone disappears when the bus passes. Like, I mean, am I supposed to? Re- I mean, did they know I've seen that before? Like, I've seen that in Clint Eastwood movies, even from twenty years ago. The idea of an imaginary person being wiped by traffic. Yeah, or that's their superpower, and it turns out they're really there, and there's not a supernatural element. You just don't. I don't you think know. he was really there? Yeah, wasn't he? <laughs> oh, you think that? The- <laughs> I noticed also, Kelly Wan, that was the same woman that was washing her in the tub, just so you know, that clipped her uh, hair. Uh-huh. I should try harder to keep track of this thing. <laughs> but she wouldn't uh, imagine him with a beard if it wasn't really him. She would have imagined him as the same way Batman's imagined by Alfred at the end of The Dark Knight Rises, <laughs> after Batman dies like an idiot unnecessarily. So basically you're saying that you see a lot of Christopher Nolan's craft in Last Exorcism Part Two And Eli Roth's. <laughs> but they didn't set up that thing like the, the demon loves her and where the brother is, and where that whole cabal is from the first movie. Like, I remember thinking, gee, Paranormal Activity 4, they've really seemed to have forgotten what they were, what it, the whole thing was originally about. And then this was even more divergent, I thought, from, like, stuff I thought had been established. Enough about it. Well, it's kind of, you know, what are you going to do after, considering the way that Last Exorcism ends, uh, in that, you know, they failed the 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 cultists have successfully done what they're going to do. Right. Where, what's the next, you know, what, how can you follow up on that? And actually, I think it's a fairly important point in terms of like what they decided to do with this movie, that this isn't the last exorcism two. that they use this part two. you know, it's a continuation of that exorcism. Um, it's not another last exorcism. Uh, <laughs> wait, what? I thought it was the second one. And they're both. Well, it's not, it's not called, the, it's not called the last exorcism two. 
It's called The Last Exorcism Part Two. It's a, it's a, it's a sort of, a, it's maybe a little bit more nuanced than, than it deserves, but the idea is that it's a continuation of the last movie and not so much another exorcism. Uh, it's part and parcel of the, what happened in the first movie. Is the Although idea there is another exorcism, just like a Quidditch match and all the Harry Potters. <laughs> but it doesn't invalidate that the last one actually worked. You know, the, it's the last exorcism. Actually, it's not even the exorcism that worked. It's what the cult These are that worked. Yeah. That's true, yeah. The exorcisms in this movie, in this universe, don't really work very well. The last failed exorcism. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so I just want to say I love you guys. I, I'm so happy about this because so last week we saw a horror movie that Dingus didn't like, uh, that Kelly Wan was mad about, and that I said I, I think I will quote myself, say I quite liked, even though I thought it was bad. Uh, we saw Dark Skies last week. I thought Dark Skies was pretty terrible, but I liked some of the things it did. Uh, this week I'm actually going to go so far as to say I don't think this is a bad movie, and what's more, I loved Last Exorcism Part 2 for a very specific reason, and that is... Uh, I really liked the direction, and what I most liked about the direction is I feel that the, that the director, his name is Ed Gasdonnelly, he knows what he has with Ashley Bell. And this movie right. so appreciated how awesome she, she is. Uh, I, I love her. I, I loved her in the last movie. She's in a really terrible zombie apocalypse movie that doesn't even have zombies in it uh, called The Day. Uh, I loved her in that. And I loved how much time this movie spent letting her carry it. Um, and I liked the script, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But mostly, man, I'm just I, I'm so impressed with Ashley Bell. So, Dingus, you mentioned, you know, it's funny, it didn't work for you, it, it was horrible. Didn't you at least admire as an actress? I mean, did any of, of what she was doing with her performance work for you, or in any day, in any way, redeem what what you felt you were sitting through? Unfortunately, for with her, I just felt like I was constantly watching. Um, we're going to do vignettes where where she's going to look surprised and we're going to try to pretend that's scared and and there's an actress and, and um I, I don't know what actress i'm conflating her with i i apologize i don't know if it's anna ferris i don't know who it is who is this actress who was in scary the scary movie movies uh but but there's a there's a uh there's a parody actress that ashley bell reminds me of and and that's kind of one of the things that drove me crazy about this is that i i i'm excited to hear about all the things that you loved about it tom but i can't disagree more because all the all the moments where she's like oh i'm totally surprised about something or i'm totally scared about something or i'm totally confused about something they just feel like moments where she's just we're just watching her in vignettes where she's surprised about chris doing something or somebody doing something that isn't scary and it's just ridiculous i mean i i I wish i could feel the same way that you feel about it okay and i think that in a better movie maybe i might feel that way about it uh but i just i just constantly felt like we are one almost overblown music cue away from uh thinking Oh my God! This, I, I felt bad for her the whole time because she, she just looks constantly surprised instead of instead of doing what you're what you're saying. Yeah, I, no, I, 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 I never knew what the what what the point of of a lot of what this movie was going for. Yeah, I feel, I feel the director absolutely appreciates what she's doing. He makes great use of her. It, she, she's got a kind of an Angela Bettis thing going. Yeah, uh, and above and beyond that, like she has this kind of stark 
plainness to her. I mean, she's a beautiful girl, but there's this really stark, almost severe plainness to her for the most part. But but what I really like about her as an actress is that she just crackles with expressiveness. I feel uh, when when she lets her face break out into a smile or when she's crying, uh, it, it's just explosive to me. I mean, she's a very expressive actress, but she doesn't have to be that over the top. And, and, and the example I would raise, Dingus, where I just feel the director really appreciates what he's got with with Ashley Bell is the scene where she's looking in the mirror, deciding whether or not to put the crucifix on. And it's a very it's a fairly still scene. Uh, and it starts out with her face pretty impassive, but she lets this expressiveness creep into her face when she decides, no, I'm not going to put it on. I'm going to put it in my pocket. And someone walks up behind her. There's there are way too many jump scares in this movie, by the way. Mm-hmm. I hated that about the movie. With the sound, with that screechy saw sound. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's the sound. It's, there are jump scares in this movie with a radio, a framed picture, a dog, a uh-huh. bird, uh, actually a bunch of birds. Uh, there they're, they're jump scares with editing. I cannot freaking stand that. It's like that, that stupid shot in The Ring where that Gore Verbinski did where they cut to the dead body in the closet when somebody mentions it. And it's an editing jump scare. And there's, there's at least two here. And I, I resent that because it puts me on edge and it makes me not trust the movie. It makes me not want to – if you're going to give me jump scares without a music cue or some slow thing build up, uh, I feel like I can't watch the movie. I can't enjoy it. If they're telegraphed, though – when they're telegraphed, then I'm fine with that. You can see it coming. I can hide my eyes. But editing jump scares that aren't telegraphed, that drives me crazy. But that said, you know, my annoyance with those aside, I just really liked how much time it took with Ashley Bell, and I really liked what she did as an actress. And Dingus is going to drive you crazy, but what it reminded me of watching this was uh, Jocelyn Donahue in House of the Devil. Just how, how watchable she was, how natural she was. I mean, there are different kinds of performances, but how the movie completely revolved around how captivating this actress is. Uh, I felt the same way about House of the Devil, and I feel that way about uh, Last Exorcism Part 2. Um, so there. Yeah. <laughs> well, Kelly Wan, so uh, didn't work for Dingus. Uh, I'm totally an, an Ashley Bell apologist. Where do you fall on Ashley Bell? I'm an Ashley Bell apologist. I still think the first movie's better, though, mm-hmm. because it has more of an arc. And in this, I thought that by the third act, I was... I think I saw what was going to happen, and I didn't feel it had been set up properly. But it was that I was that was also it was warring with my admiration for how little sense. Like it was just it just also felt like an, an like a one long dream sequence in a good way. Mm-hmm. Like the like that was what the Elm Street movies, like the first one and the third one, I thought were the good ones. It's just like one long nightmare, and it had that. And if I could take, I'd definitely take this over Dark Skies, which never scared me. And oh, I, thought, I would. Yeah, I would definitely as well. Yeah. I don't remember anything in Dark Skies that wasn't in the trailer either. And I saw the trailer for this, and I was still uh, jump scares. There's more; they're more competently staged in this than in Dark Skies. So I think I'm more of a case by case scenario jump scare evaluator than you are. <laughs> well, and also unlike, well, I would. I was there is say, skill unlike... involved. You feel it's just skill. It's unskill related. Like it's just button mashing by the editor, right? I was going to say, unlike Dark Skies, this felt more like it was in one person's state of mind. But there was yeah. a, little bit, a little bit of that silliness in Dark Skies, so that's not really a fair. That's, that's true. And that's what made the movie good, was yeah, it was Ashley Bell's brain. 
But for point now. It, you know, you, you mentioned the trailer. By the way, Kelly, when I watched the trailer, too, in the trailer, they felt the need to do things like put in CG demon faces. They show in the trailer the exorcism scene where there's banging on the wall, and, they, and she says, you know, that's him on the other side. In the trailer, they show that scene, and they put in a big, giant demon face pushing through the wall. A CG effect, like the, almost like the demon in Poltergeist, that big, crazy, skeleton-headed demon in Poltergeist. That I liked and you didn't like. Right. But they put that in the trailer. In the trailer, they, and there's, a scene, there's a scene in the trailer where she's looking into a dark doorway, and they put a little outline of a demon face in there. The trailer, they felt the need to pepper with this goofy CG stuff. Um, well, that's okay, though. In the trailer, you know, it's like the uh, Paranormal Activity 3 trailer. Go ahead and put things in your trailer that aren't in the movie that's fine with me they're basically agreeing with you that if you're cool you won't watch the trailer and the trailer is meant for the civilians so we're going to put demon faces in it to get their dumb asses in the yeah exactly by the way in the trailer so uh when she answers the phone and the the, the chris slash demon says i want to be inside you kelly Wan, what line did they change that to in the trailer i want me outside you no, it's I found you. <laughs> oh, good I found you. Yeah, they changed the line. I want to be inside you from in the trailer. That's way too racy for the trailer. So they change it to where she picks up the phone and the demon says, "I found you." <laughs> that's so weird. Like they go, "Oh, it's so scary when she answers the phone and he says that thing." But it's well, it's like they no, they can't make I think as blatant a sexual reference in a in a trailer that's going to be. Then why would you just and then they add demon faces? So they're 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 sexing up the walls. With demon faces, but de- but taking out the dialogue. <laughs> uh, they also show extra CG on the wall during the uh, scene. This reminded me, by the way, of the scene from Wicker Man, where people have sex through a wall, kind of. Uh, there's the scene where she's listening to the sex through a wall, and they do a little CG black effect uh, in the movie. They, they preload that CG in the movie. As she's walking in the trailer, I mean. Oh. As she's walking up in the trailer, there's a C- black veins all over the wall. Before she walks up to it? Yes, yes. Like, she basically, she basically walks up and Makes puts her, her face... Complicit. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. So they she rubs her face right. on black CG, yeah. You know what? Screw trailers, though. We know better than that. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, I, yeah, so I also liked, um, as far as the director went, there's, there's a movie called... Um, Oh, Ted Gummit. Oh, In the Cut, that Jane Campion directed, uh, which is also widely criticized and, and uh, reviled as, as a bad movie, but I really like In the Cut. And one of the things that Jane Campion does with In the Cut is she creates this sense of a, the city as a malevolent place. Um, where there's weird, dark things happening, and you know, it makes just regular shots in New York City look kind of scary and claustrophobic. I actually thought the director did a good job First of all, with giving a sense of place to the movie, but second of all, with doing some cool, ominous shots. Um, like, for instance, early on, there's just a shot of a bicycle laying on the street with the wheels. Yeah. I loved some of that stuff. That was like Robert Duvall as the priest swinging an invasion of the body snatchers. You're like, oh, it's his going to be his thing. It's a point of view shot. He's going to be important. That's like you never see him again. Yeah, and there's like, a, like the weird shot of just the guy singing and doing his tie-up behind yeah. the motel door. Like, stuff like that, I thought... Uh, I mean, there was, you guys are right, there was a lot of cliched stuff in here, and a lot of it might not have worked, but just weird little things like that that I thought he took his time with mm-hmm. felt very effective to me. For instance, the, the clock, you know, when she wakes up and the clock is blinking 12 o'clock, you know, so the power flickered, big deal, but it gave it this weird, ominous sort of, you know, things aren't quite right, something's happened uh, sensibility that uh, that I thought was really effective for me. 
And it was more, see, I think we, we went, we didn't argue so much last week, but it's like, when you were saying, making it seem like aliens are interchangeable with demons, like it's just whatever the movie has them do. To me, that's a huge difference, because in this, the whole thing is about her supernatural state of mind, her psychology, and she's like asleep and, and mystical. And that's why, and last week was all about like screws popping out and shit. Right, right, exactly. Like last week was just throwing things in. Dark Skies was just throwing things in because they were related to aliens or horror movies. Yeah. There was no real consistency. Uh, this is a love yeah. story. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You're just coming of All right. Well, and that's one of the things too that I liked about this is the what I thought was the overall uh, point. Um, so, so Dingus, did any of that? Like, I get. So, Dingus, I'm, I'm guessing that, like, just over for the most part, you just like it didn't work for you. Uh, like, what, was there anything in the the overall arc or this as a story about a demon that that you liked or that worked for you, or was all of that just not your bag? Well, the stuff that worked for me. I mean, I really like the idea of he loves you and he loves you more than I could ever love you. That thing with Chris. Um, as much as I thought that a lot of, I mean, I don't think it's a good movie. I, I think that the director doesn't know what he's got. I think that, uh, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that Ashley Bell doesn't do a good job when I'm talking about that. All what we see is a look of perpetual surprise from her. Uh, I think it doesn't, I think it's difficult for an actress to rise above bad writing, but there are a few things that I do like. I, I like that moment at Mardi, at the Mardi Gras parade where she's touching that stuff and she's, she's feeling, I mean, I, I love those moments where she's feeling the, the, the beads or she's feeling the textures and she's going through and discovering all of those things that are going on. I like what the actress is doing and what the director is letting her do in those moments. I don't care for the the bus wipe of the character across the street or the guy in the creepy mask across the street. I don't care for any of that. Um, but I, I like her doing that. I like the idea of the demon. He loves you so much, and there's no and there's nothing we can do about that. And Chris is so in despair about how much he that demon loves her and that the, the, I, I don't understand how the demon is inside you and loves you and is empo- is powerless without you. I think that's just gooviness, but I, I like that aspect of it. I definitely like those things. Well, that's what, when Kelly one says it's a love story. I mean, part of what Kelly one, you say partly it doesn't make sense. And I kind of agree with that. It doesn't over explain in a good way, in a good way, but it does give you information where upon reflection, you know, I, I get that we're seeing a story. The demon really does love her. In the first movie, I think the idea is, of course, in the first movie, her baby is, is torn out of her and sacrificed to let the demon into the world. And that, there, there we go. The movie, the world should be ended. The, the movie ends with the world ending. Where do you go from that? I thought so, it was still alive and being baptized. So I, I'm... Oh, maybe, I thought, didn't they sacrifice her baby? And then yeah, was, I thought it made it just more powerful that way. But oh, it's a demon. Anyway, whatever the point is, the ritual comes through. The demon comes into the real world, and the movie's over, uh, and the world is basically ended at the end of Last Exorcism Part One. Uh, the new information, and this is what sequels like that have to do. They had to do this with Paranormal Activity. Like, oh, by the way, there's something we didn't tell you about the demon in the last movie. Let us explain <laughs> it in this movie. <laughs> there's so, an orphan. What, what we find out in this movie, Last Ex- Exorcism Part 2, is that, you know what, it really is in love with her. Is that in the course of possessing her, it really did fall in love with her. And 
And so it's not so much that it needs her to go out into the world and take it over or do whatever it's going to do, but it's just it doesn't really want to go ahead and do that without her. I mean, that's sort of the impression that I got. Like, hey, it's here. It can just terrorize people in their beds if it wants to. But really, before it wants to go out into the world, it really is in love with its mother slash wife. Um, so it's this weird love story about how – you know what? It could be the end of the world, but first he wants to hook up with this chick and do it with her. And that was this cool, weird bit of information about the demon from Last Exorcism that I, I really kind of liked because I don't, I don't know that I've seen that before. You know, demons are just like they're evil or malevolent, yeah. and you just can't understand them. This idea, that, you know, yeah, you know exactly. It's like it doesn't care about the woman; it's just using her for for uh, a, a portal. You know, uh, and this idea that hey, it fell in love with her. You know, I don't think I've seen that before, and I really liked that. And, and then also, in addition, I liked it as a story about her discovering her sexuality. Um, you know, that that's the more obvious stuff that's going on here is, you know, Kelly Wan, that whole thing about her hand being uh, possessed. I mean, that if that's not a metaphor for masturbation or whatever, I mean, that. And I think that could have looked silly, but to me, that looked kind of cool. Like the stuff with her hand and the the unlacing of of the top of her her little gown and even that like floating scene. I thought that kind of – Oh, God. No, no, because it's really slow, like Tom was saying before. Like the, he lingers on these shots; he can, it kind of blends them a certain gravitas that I guess only works for me and Tom. Well, really and the alternative is, is something like Evil Dead. You know, otherwise, like if you, somebody's fast. hand possessed by the demon is goofy, is it, inherently silly, but he takes his time with it. He lets Ashley Bell do stuff with her hand. I mean, I I liked that stuff. Um, and there and there's something. That whole CG contortionism stuff is really creepy and weird. Uh, and when she floats up and almost bends over backwards, like yeah. I, I just thought that stuff was kind of oddly sensual in a weird way. Um, Transcending anatomy and gravity, dingus. <laughs> and also, so I don't want to spoil the end of Cabin in the Woods, but I feel that this movie has an ending very similar to the ending of Cabin in the Woods, whereby yeah. it's all about do you let the world end or are you so concerned with your own personal preservation that, or do you save the world? Or are you so concerned with your personal preservation that you let the world end? Uh, and I think maybe I'm giving the script too much credit, but I think there's this point here about once you discover love, I mean, once you, you allow yourself to love someone, the rest of the world doesn't matter and you can let the world end. Uh, and that's kind of the point of the movie is that she decides she's going to let this demon love her. She's going to there's all this stuff early in the movie and it lays groundwork for this about all you have to do is ask for help. All you have to do is ask, you know, you decide um, it's all about you. And she makes the decision. You know what? I'm not going to let them kill me. I'm going to, you know, ask this demon to save me and let the world end. And something very similar happens at the end of Cabin in the Woods. Um but the so demon I, doesn't make that case very well till the end. Like, he goes, hey, they're going to kill you, or we can – it's you and me, baby. But up till then, he's just like, Zach Chris. Like, he's he's always being kind of a dick to her. Well, you know, I think up till then, though, Kelly Wand, he hasn't been beaten. Like, at that point, he has been beaten. It's going to work unless she – you know, she, it, 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 once they kill her, he's he's not going to get her anymore. You know, he's right. he, there, there, he needs to convince her, I, I guess, to, to reach out to him at that point. Before it's just like just like Jason Siegel says in the in the <laughs> church, uh, you know, he's patient. He can take his time. He's in no hurry. Jason Siegel. That was Jason Siegel, right? No. Yeah. It's yeah. Watching class. <laughs> so so he, anyway, doesn't, he doesn't make those perks clear till the end. 
Right. And by the way, here's another thing. Uh, if you are going to unmask a demon and show us the actor underneath the demon, who better to cast as the demon than the best actor in your movie? So I loved when she took the mask, when the demon took the mask off, and hey, it's Ashley Bell under there. Uh, Just like Bruce Campbell, also named Ash. Uh, very good, Kelly Wine. Uh-huh. Uh, unfortunately, uh, here, so part of my problems with it, I hated all the jump scares. Um, I really, really wish that they had developed it more as kind of a love triangle, and that they'd had a better actor for Chris, because, oh my God, that poor guy, and that they developed that part of it a little bit more. Uh, this idea that, uh, you know, she could like she, she's discovering her sexuality through this regular person, and then he gets killed by the demon or slash suicide or whatever. I just wish they had done more with that. I kind of liked that she was alone for the whole movie, and even Chris was in on it, as far as we can tell. Like the whole world's in on it. The whole world's out to fuck her yeah. over, except the demon, which I thought was great. My only complaint with the movie was it wasn't R-rated, and they kept cutting away from shit. And oh my god, that Chris death scene! That was yeah. so like. PG-13. That I was know. so freaking crazy. You got demons. I don't understand why you can't just give me a fucking R, dude. It's just three frames, man. Well, and even Last Exorcism was PG-13, um, which is much easier to fake if you're doing found footage, I guess. Right. Oh, the camera moved away and you didn't see it. But, uh, yeah, I was so ir- annoyed at the PG-13 stuff here. Oh, you know, she had a little blood on her nightgown or whatever. Dingus would have liked it if it had been R-rated, but he feels frustrated. Yeah, I would have loved it if it had been R-rated and well-directed, well-acted, well-written, <laughs> and it didn't have a ton of horrible cliches that you guys are all overlooking in favor of this other crap you're talking about. I don't know what movie you saw! Good lord! But uh, other than that, I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> Uh, did you like he's this romantic like us? I know, yeah. Well, Dingus also, he just has higher standards. He, he's not... Dingus didn't watch that. So the last Possession movie I saw was the one where uh, the comedian's daughter gets possessed by a jewelry box. Uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, his his daughter finds a jewelry box at a garage sale, and it possesses her. Like, you know what? You, yeah, you what was watch- that movie called? Was it called Possession? <laughs> I think it might have actually been called The Possession. Hey, hey did, that, did that movie have a, a crazy crazy thing where like a phone gets unplugged and it keeps ringing did that have that crazy idea in it uh i don't remember i think somebody's iphone might have run out of batteries and they might have still gotten a call on it though so it might be yeah, it might have a more contemporary social yeah. <laughs> in, in chris's apartment oh poor chris i felt so bad for that little guy you know that that kid <laughs> that kid was the the little kid in both Gladiator and Unbreakable. That's the little kid. Oh, oh. oh it's Bruce Willis's son. Interesting. Can't catch a break in any of his roles. Chris's phone, the phone in his apartment, is a wall phone. What, what is up with the phones in this movie? Not only that, Dingus, his television still gets snow. How many televisions can actually still get snow? <laughs> That's, it's a dream. It's a dream sequence. And she's exactly. in space. Yeah. She doesn't uh, Never mind. I will- Get it. Uh, Dingus, I will say to you the same thing that Ashley Bell says to the dog that barks at her. Do you know what that is? <laughs> I want to be inside you. <laughs> Dingus, don't be gross. There's a great – during the dog scare, the dog barks at her, and she goes, shush you. She just shushes the dog that barked at her, which I thought was really She cute. says you, too. Yeah, she says you. She says – because I wrote that in my notes. She goes, shush you. See, she's <laughs> from the south. But she Let's go to the zoo and look at big tigers. I've never seen that in a movie. Let's go. No, did you see how low the railing was, though? 
Good God. What? And it eats meat. So you think it's about sex? I do. I did love that sleepy dead hand thing until we did the, the floating body. The floating body is just... I've seen that before. It's not scary. It's not erotic. What is that? <laughs> uh, Dingus, uh, Dingus, over the last two weeks, what is the uh, the death count for uh, birds? <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> we, that would have to be if, if you had this movie and you subtract trampolines, I would have to say eight hundred and forty-three. <laughs> it looks like actually they couldn't quite. So eight hundred birds in dark skies. Here, when she goes outside, I don't think they could manage more than like thirteen. Fake dead crows, or whatever yeah, those were. Across the street, it uh, maxed out the quota. Or maybe it was the same birds, like stunt birds. Could be, yeah. I don't know. Okay, uh, all right. I, I, I know you guys loved this. Mm-hmm. Let me no, Kelly this. Wan, I loved it. Kelly Wan hasn't used that strong language. Oh, okay. Tom- Kelly, Kelly will, will throw in with you in love. Let me, let me ask you this. Kelly, are, are you, you throwing in with me in love? Yes. Okay, good. Yes, Dingus, what's your question? How do you feel about the scene where Gwen and the girls are sh- are showing her the YouTube video of herself from the first movie? How do you feel about that scene? Kelly Wand, would you like to field this one? Where'd it come from? Oh, just found it. See? Horror. It taps into your fear of not knowing what the fuck's going on when you get home. Uh, they do lay out the, the – they lay groundwork for the fact that these girls routinely, like, surf YouTube for freaky stuff. Uh, and at one point, when when, uh, when, when that explains when, everything, yeah. When when Ashley Bell's walking out of the room and they they do some boom chicka wow wow music because she's going to go to have her surprise with Chris. One of the girls says of the other girl saying boom chicka wow wow. One of the other girls says she has no idea what that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, Dingus. Uh, because, so I, I, I loved the ending, though, by the way. A couple of things about the ending. No, the, no. Answer my question, jerk. Oh, what was your – I didn't know that it was a genuine question. How well, do you know about the fact that, that, moment that, last, that YouTube thing drove me nuts? Yeah, so, Dingus, we've already established in this movie that the camera fell on the ground and someone obviously picked it up and put the footage on YouTube. And they have an internet connection. Yeah, exactly. They have an internet connection. They yeah. probably have broadband even for and all the we world. Know. It's one of the guys with the masks, or is that the same guy? Or maybe it's just someone who found the camera, because the director's established the camera's just lying there on the ground. So I'm just going right, to right. I'm cool. I'm cool with that as, uh, if nothing else, as a really cool, quick way of saying this isn't found footage and we're moving on. I love that. I love that first shot, that that moment of the camera being on the ground. Right. But, but that just seems like such a ridiculous little moment where we're, we're going to show you this YouTube moment of you in the garage or the barn, wherever that is. It's a and barn. That, that's, it's a barn. <laughs> is that okay? <laughs> uh, well, because I will say it only got something like 147,000 hits. And three likes. You can see that. <laughs> 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 uh, come on, did you guys not love the ending, though? Because I guess I you did. It. I guess Man, I, lo- I love the ending, too. And I, I Yeah, I thought it was awesome. I totally want a demon to possess me and blow up the world. No, aside from the horrible fire CG, I loved it. I loved the fire truck catching fire. I loved the sort of drive angry kind of feel of it, of her looking in the rearview mirror. Yeah, I liked that very much. 
Well, and even the the shot of uh, even all the the stuff after up to you know I even like by the way this idea of a an exorcism that's part voodoo and part medical. Yeah. You know that they that they have the the holy saline solution that they have to put on the EKG thing. Uh, I I just loved the mechanics of that as an exorcism scene, and that's something too. Like I, I don't think we've seen that before. This idea of we're yeah. going to have we're going to have Baron Samedi and modern music together for this exorcism ritual. I loved the the. The shot of the house, you know, where, where you know it's gone wrong, the body gets thrown out, and the wood is buckling, and she walks out, and one light pops. I thought that was a great sequence. You know, I loved her going back and talking to the, the, the guy who runs the halfway house, and certainly the, the driving away scene. Uh, I just loved I loved the finale of this. And when you consider, guys, how think of Dark Skies, how few horror movies have good payoffs. Yeah. I mean, a good payoff in a horror movie, that is... That is so freaking rare to walk out of a horror movie and think, yeah, I liked where that went. Um, you know, I like there's another that... one. There's another one. No, I was saying hope there's another one. Although if they do, oh, they'll yeah. do the fucking paranormal thing and just like and then the other, the next city over something else dumb. You know, I kind of hope they. I mean, what can you do with it? So the world's over. That's it. You know, it's it's ended. She destroys the world, and then right. someone possesses another someone. And then well, it's like, no, Kelly. On considering how poorly it's doing, you know, to only make eight million, I don't think there. Will, I think maybe? I think Dingus will be glad to know there will not be another another a Last Exorcism Part Three. I think we're done with this one. I, I hope I, I hope not because I don't agree with that that thing about the that, that exorcism thing about. I mean, I think we've totally seen the we're riding on your belly and we're going to see some figure moving across skin and I, 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 don't, well, I, I don't, don't buy that stuff. You're pointing at the derivative things, and yeah, we've seen that. And by the way, one of the Kelly Wan, what's the best voodoo scene in a movie? If this is a three by three, because Kelly Wan, uh, I think you would know this one. Serpent and the Rainbow. Oh, that is a good one. Dang, Kelly Wan. I was thinking of, and I just remember as a kid being freaked out about it by how weird and gross it was, but also kind of how oddly hot. Live and let it die. Was. No, a little farther back. There's a scene where they where uh, Lou Gossett Jr. accosts Jacqueline Bisset in the deep. Oh and, yeah, yeah. And they do this like weird, sexy voodoo ritual <laughs> on her with chicken's blood. <laughs> uh, and you're right, Dingus. We've seen that stuff before. But I mean, have you seen this idea of an exorcism that's part voodoo, part medical science? <laughs> like in the deep. <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm saying is I think there were enough touches like that to rescue it from the derivative. Oh, there's CG effects of her belly pulsing or, you know, all that I could have done without. The whatever. dialogue was like uh, the Michael Clayton, uh, Tom Wilkinson death dialogue. You got it? Like it was that routine and mundane and like, OK, 50 cc's is something. Right. Well, I, I actually, I have to say, I like, I like the salt the floor. I, I liked the guy looking after her and putting yeah. the electrodes on her and wanting to put them on her chest. Again, see, Dingus? I see. wish it had been R-rated so we could see him putting it on her chest. Dingus, um, see? Oh, Dingus has to go there, doesn't he, Kelly Wand? He's you just bet off. Be uh, mad. And I wanted to know what the hell they were writing on her belly, and I wish I had looked for that up. Um, I like the guy who was playing Calder, whoever that dude is. He's sufficiently yeah. creepy, the Jackie Earl Haley guy that that uh, Kelly Wan was making fun of. Um, and even Diggis and to say, I like that. I like that one body. Like Tom said, I, I like that we see the outside of the house, and I think is the house going to burst into flames? So what's going to go on? Oh, the greenhouse light just went on, and then one body gets thrown out the window. Mm-hmm. I like that. I did like that a lot. 
And also, Dingus, the, the tattoos on his arm and, mm-hmm. and the fact that you see there are shots of those uh, those wards around the city after they've been burned out. Like, I like the fact that we see stuff like that and that he had those tattoos. I mean, I, I thought that was a cool little touch. That, that's um, true. And what was the name of their little group, by the way? The Right Hand? <laughs> what were they called? Like the 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 order of the right hand. Huh. Wait, a, her right hand's possessed, so it should be left hand. I think I think Dingus is making a masturbation joke, Kelly. Wan. <laughs> Do what? No, I'm not. How dare you? Uh, Dingus, did you not? Uh, so I'll tell you what that word is. I don't even have to look this up. A Croatoa is. Oh. Again, it's it's one of those unexplained things. But there's a colony in Virginia at a place right. called Roanoke. Yeah, that mysteriously vanished, and this is kind of an urban legend slash history thing. All that they found were, was the word Croatoa carved into a tree. You know, and nobody knows what that means. And I see plenty of horror movies that play on that. Uh, I just played a horror game called Dead Space Three that played on that. Uh, it's 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 a horror trope. It's a goofy thing, and you know they mention it, they don't explain it. You know they show it, they write it on her tummy for some dumb reason. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Did you read the Harlan Ellison story. No, That's what's that? Boring. What is that? It's called Croatoan and Scott. He goes down in the sewer, and there's alligators in there. <laughs> Sounds dopey. No, he goes down to chase an aborted fetus. That got flat, and then they're all there, and then it's like the last line of the story is like, they call me father. See? One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 and I'm caught in between. Counting. One, two, three, Peter, pardon me, free, getting down with three, the everybody loves oh. I think we're one thing is Yeah, if only, if only this, if this movie had had somebody's eyeballs filling up with black. I would have totally loved it. Maybe Dingus is just... Uh, I lo- yeah, no, Dingus doesn't... I, you know, Dingus, you, you gotta suffer through a lot more bad horror movies to appreciate the middling ones like this, Dingus. Alright, I agree. It's like when chicks go, three stooges are stupid. They're not funny, they're just idiots. It's not funny, they're just dumb. I'm, so I'm the chick who doesn't like three stooges. Why, the, why is the body that? <laughs> why is the why are the eyes black? We've seen that before. Why can't they be blue? Uh, no, I'm not asking for them to be blue. That's the scarier color. That's how you sound. Is that if they were blue, Kelly? Well, that would mean that they uh, that they're on a diet of spice. See? Mm. Oh, horrible. <laughs> uh, if speaking it, of the smoke, then it's an R-rated movie to you. <laughs> Uh, speaking of uh, horrible, <laughs> Kelly Wand, what is this week's 3x3 three three again? Oh, three best explosions. Woo! <laughs> You're welcome, slaves. All right, well, since I'm introducing next week's 3x3, three three, I get to go first with my best explosion. You're not going to ask me why I came up with this and what suggested it, or you know better by now. That is correct. I know better by now. <laughs> I must think that. All right, so my approach to this was uh, explosions that are uh, – actually, that's not true because I'm looking at – yeah, okay, realistic. these are like – Your ears are realistic. You no, to... they're not. They're not. They're, they're different. They're just – you know what? You, uh, you know, that's your uh... – you guys can figure it out from what I picked. So my number three pick uh, – They're blue eyeballs. <laughs> have you guys seen the movie The Other Guys, that thing with Mark Wahlberg and Will Ferrell? Oh, God, yeah. Ava Mendes. Uh, right, right, exactly. As, as his, oh, it's so funny that the movie that Will Ferrell thinks that she's she's plain and, and frumpy and uh, yeah, that's ha ha. Hasn't so it totally ruins that. No, I, I did not care for the other guys for the most part. Although I love it when Wahlberg does comedy instead of 
like trying to be a badass. I, I def- you're on last word. You're on yeah. last name basis with him. Tom's uh, what? Nice. You know what? I, you're right. I should I should specify because otherwise you might think I'm talking about Donnie Wahlberg. And I'm not <laughs> sure I want to see. I'm not sure I want to see a Donnie Wahlberg comedy because they they kind of are already. Uh, but Mark Wahlberg, when he's not doing his serious tough guy shtick, I like his funny guy stuff. So that said, <laughs> other guys is, is fine, whatever. But there's an explosion scene in Other Guys where uh, they're they're writhing around on the ground after the explosion because it's hurt their ears. They can't hear. They're talking too loud. Uh, and, and and the joke is about how in most movies bad guys just sh- people just shake off explosions and they're writhing around on the ground talking about how that's not how it happens and Will Ferrell even says quote when they flew the Millennium Falcon outside of the Death Star and it was followed by the explosion that was bullshit there is no way I don't have soft tissue damage I need an MRI that is his line after being subjected to a nearby explosion so that's not a a parallel to what they just endured. <laughs> Space so, doesn't have sound. Right. Well, that's what—that's Mark Wahlberg's comeback. Is that, that I think something to the effect of "Yes, yeah, Star, you're wrong. Star Wars is realistic." Um, hmm. What was the over/under on Tom bringing up Star Wars first? Okay, I didn't so bring it up. Okay. Tom's number three. First of all, I didn't bring it up. Will Ferrell brought it up. So there. I'm just the messenger from Will Ferrell and Wahlberg, as I call him. When we, have, when we have dinner at Scandia. <laughs> All right, so there's my uh, my other guys. Other guys, Return of the Jedi, Deafness. Got it. Uh, All right, Dingus, what is your number three favorite explosion? And maybe you can give us a line from it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a hyphen. Always. I can't believe how you snuck in a Star Wars reference, Tom. I didn't sneak it in. That's the point of the explosion in the other guys, is that it's total BS. When you when an explosion is near you, you can't just shake it off. Uh, and well, if you're in a ship and you're the space station, I mean... You know what, Kelly Wan? Isn't there an explosion in Sunshine that really screws up the ship? That's... Well, you know, maybe I'm spoiling... The sun's an explosion. Hold on, let me put that in runners up. Sunshine. All right. Sunshine. All right. Now back to Dingus's line. Number three pick for best explosion of all time. All right, here's here's a quote from it. I'll try not to talk about Star Wars. <laughs> Bubble was my best good friend. I had to make sure he was okay. <laughs> uh, I guess Dingus loved this, the it's visual a, effects. Yeah, Bubbles, someone named Bubbles. <laughs> Dingus loves the visual effects in Forrest Gump. Or related to the character. Uh, so this is from uh, indeed from Forrest Gump, um, and I chose this. <laughs> what was the because, line? Again? I got uh, yeah, yeah. Let's hear that again, Dingus. Give, uh, give us that one more time. Oh. Bubble was my best good friend. I had to make sure he was okay. All right. What's more racist, what Dingus just did, or everything I've ever said on the podcast? Kelly, could you give us that line again about uh, about there being a demon in Ashley Bell? Can you give us that one more time, Kelly? Demon, y'all! There's a demon, y'all! <laughs> I like your first reading better. That was way too yeah. histrionic. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. Okay, so uh, I went back and watched uh, the Death Star explosion in A New Hope. <laughs> What's A New Hope? What the hell is Who that? Has time to watch the whole explosion. A New Hope is a Sandra Bullock movie, and I was hoping that the Death Star explosion was going to be super cool, but 
But uh, George Lucas has totally Hollywoodified it with this weird uh, Nexus ring from Wrath of Khan or Search for Spock or whatever. Because uh, I was thinking about that. What do you call that, Dingus? What do you call that? I, I, was, I was thinking of the word parallax, but that's not right. There's a word for that, like when the explosion is a flat plane, right? Remember when Tom didn't know the word circumnat or the equator or something? Never mind. Kelly, why don't you bring that up? I will gladly go into that. The Earth does not have a circumference. I maintain. I, I will. I will say that again. I, that's and you know what? Email me. Tomchick at quarter three dot com, and I'll explain to anyone how the Earth does not have a circumference. But anyway, Dingus. So what is the word for that flat explosion? <laughs> I, I would call it a nexus ring, but I'm sure it has some other ring. Uh, I I just hate the way that George Lucas. Uh, grafted on this ridiculous, terrible CG onto my favorite Death Star explosion. So um, I refuse to incorporate the Death Star into my favorite explosion, so I'm going to choose one from Forrest Gump. Uh, and it's... That's, uh, uh, yeah, that's tell you. Hey, George Lucas, I'm going to choose something from Robert Zemeckis. Suck it. So it's a moment where uh, they're in Vietnam, and they, oh, man, this movie is so bad. But I really love this little moment uh, where they're all tramping around in Vietnam, and uh, and they're and the rain stops, and they're under an ambush, and um, Forrest Gump's entire squad or platoon or whatever has been killed, <laughs> uh, and and he runs away from them, and then he says. Uh, I gotta go get Bubba, and he runs back and he picks each one of them up one at a time. Then he runs against Bubba Gump, and as he, as he's running out of the of the woods, the woods, the jungle. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Lieutenant Dan has told him that he's already got the fast. The fast movers are on their way, and so um, Forrest Gump is running out of the jungle with Bubba in his arms, and the fast movers are flying in behind him, and it looks like fireworks going on behind him, but it, and the jungle is just, just alive with this amazing, ridiculous Hollywood explosions that would later be made fun of in, uh, I guess, Tropic Thunder or whatever. But and I, the other I, guys. And the other guys, but I, I, I love the ridiculous Hollywoodness of that. Uh, of that explosion as as Forrest Gump is running out of the the jungle with Bubba Gump in his arms and the and the the uh, the jungle is exploding behind him. Uh, one of the CG bits I do remember from Forrest Gump at the time kind of liking is uh, when someone would step on a mine and his body would get blown away. Like they did really, I thought. Dead presidents cool, has that. Uh, they did cool CG stuff of like people getting sort of blown away by a mine in a way that you couldn't do with a stuntman. I remember being kind of impressed with that in Forrest Gump. Um, it, was, it, it was almost incredibly gymnastic. I mean, it would you'd just like see a figure flying in a way that was like ragdoll physics that, yeah. that, you're, that, you, couldn't, that you couldn't do with a stuntman, but it would have to be with CG. Uh, Dingus, just so you know for future reference, uh, the foliage in Vietnam is referred to as a meadow. Oh, the meadow. That's right. <laughs> the lee of the meadow. Uh, Sound of Saigon. So, so far, uh, these are two movies that don't normally occur on 3x3s. The Other Guys and Forrest Gump. Uh, <laughs> you won't see a lot of those. Kelly Wan, can you give us a, tri a trifecta with your number three pick for a favorite explosion? Is it a kind of movie that would normally appear in a 3x3? Three three? Yeah. But I was going to say about Dingus's that um, ah, yes. for Forrest Gump, they're going to re they're going to add a ring to that explosion. <laughs> a Nexus ring. Yeah, a Nexus <laughs> ring. 
but you don't have anything to say to that, so I'm going to tell you my number three. <laughs> Best explosion is uh, the head from Scanners. Oh, Kelly Wand, that's so good. That's Go ahead, sorry. What's the name no, of the movie? Yeah. The movie's called The Head from Scanners, <laughs> and the actor's name is also The Head from Scanners. Kelly Wand, this plays <laughs> into my number one pick, which we'll get to when we get to my number one pick, but that explosion in Scanners, like I don't know if it's because we were at an age where we had never seen that sort of thing, but what kid doesn't wonder, what would it be like if your head just blew up? Yeah. Uh, you know, to actually see that visualized in a graphic special effect in a movie. Uh, well, and it starts out as that guy, it looks kind of like Frank Oz, too, so it's kind of like picturing Frank Oz's head blowing up, which is a fetish of mine. <laughs> and um, Too much information, Kelly Wand. Oh. Was that movie before or after The Fury? Because that movie has an exploding head from like nine different angles at the end. Oh, I didn't realize that. You know, I think it was probably after The Fury. I just don't think The Fury... Well, the, the, the thing is, David Cronenberg like knows how to sell that kind of thing and make it... Like, in The Fury, it's just kind of lost in this story about magical kids. And though, by the way, there's going to be a head blowing up. But Scanners is all about, you know, it, it's a dude who can make heads blow up. Yeah. Like, in The Fury, don't they actually kill people by, like, making circus rides fall apart? Yeah. Like that? Yeah, and by the, by the time the head blows up at the end of the movie, you're like, dude, I've seen a million fucking heads in this movie blow up. Like, it's going to take more than that. Well, as in Scanners, it's at a board meeting or a press conference or something. And then Frank Oz is like, all right, I'm going to read this guy's mind. Check this shit out. And then he picks Michael Ironside to his detriment, and then his head blows up. Which, if I was there, I would have done a slow clap, but... <laughs> that's that Wand, back. Yeah, that's why you're not on the board of directors of a large corporation. Like if it's a Paley Fest or an E3 or something. Uh, all right, Scanners. Uh... Wait, you are saying something ten minutes ago, before I started talking about nothing. Uh, is, that when I brought up the, is that when I brought up the other guys, and how I thought Mark Wahlberg was funny? No, it was about childhood, and oh, we fought. We finally saw a head explode. Like oh, well, scanners. Out. Now you look at it, and you can tell, like when the footage cuts <laughs> to a fake head, and they just blow that up. Like it's a, it's a practical effect, of course, because they hadn't invented CG yet. Is that the so, movie that made Bruce want to become a brain surgeon? Uh, you're talking about our friend Bruce Garrick, who's a brain surgeon. I don't know. You'll have to ask him. Maybe if you listen to the <laughs> podcast for uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild, in which he's a guest, you might find clues to that, Kelly Wand. I met someone else. <laughs> All right. My number two pick for a favorite explosion, uh, also from my childhood. This is a, a 1984 movie that doesn't hold up. But I will say this was Inception before Inception ever came out. Uh, the opening movie <sighs> of... Uh, it, the opening scene of a movie called Dreamscape is the president's nightmare about uh, a, a nuclear ap- apocalypse, like a nuclear war. Um, and then Dreamscape is about how uh, this faction in the government is worried that because the president is having nightmares about nuclear war, that he's going to sign a disarmament treaty. And they don't want that to happen. It'll, it'll make the United States weak. So they hire an assassin to go into his dreams to kill him, whereas uh, – Dennis Quaid plays someone who's going to go into the president's dreams and save him. Uh, it's a ridiculous movie. Um, Eddie Albert's the president. Eddie Albert, President Eddie Albert, yeah. Um, and, by the way, it's directed by a fellow named Joseph Rubin, who directed a movie many, many years later called The Forgotten that we talked about last week on the Dark Skies uh, podcast. Really? So, yeah, I had no idea of that connection. So, Joseph Rubin, way back when, 
uh, did Dreamscape. And Dreamscape opens with the president's nightmare of uh, his wife is running towards him and calling his name. And in the background, you see New York City. Of course, you know it's New York City because of the Twin Towers there. And a nuclear explosion goes off. And we see the explosion in the background, the mushroom cloud, and then this cloud rushes forward. And it's all one take you know, of him looking at his wife running towards him and then overwhelms his wife. Uh, and it's this freaky... You know, it's what everybody imagines a nuclear, you know, it's like, what if you're there at ground zero when a nuclear bomb goes off? And it's it's kind of dated. Uh, I actually found Dreamscape in its entirety is on YouTube. So if you go there, you can just watch that opening sequence. But as a kid, I remember that freaking me out. And I've, I still find it, even though the effects are a little dated, I find it way freakier than the similar scene in Terminator 2 where Linda ha- Hamilton's skeleton is hanging onto a chain link fence. Uh <laughs> Why is uh, the fence dissolving? Exactly. Yeah, well, because chain link fences are immune to nuclear explosions, Kelly Wand. Oh, it's a dream. <laughs> Plus, it's a dream. Uh, so anyway, that's my number two pick is that. that dream is about mutant kids, too, Eddie Albert. You know, well, yeah, the, the zombie kids. Exactly. The irradiated zombie kids are calling out to him, uh, and they lunge out of a basement at him. Yeah. Um, I like that movie. How's uh, Kate, it's Kate Capshaw's? Kate Capshaw, and yeah, she's in it as like the scientist that he kind of has an affair with. I don't think it holds up. I mean, just watching isolated scenes, it's like, yeah. Um, but you know what, Kelly, want knock yourself out. It's on YouTube. Have fun. Remember the Snake Man? You know what? I don't. But doesn't the the villain turn himself into like a cobra at the end, and he has to fight him? Is that uh, what it is? Uh, maybe. But there's it's that like a, kid. It's like the first acts, like the. Snake. Oh right, right, right. Where he's helping the little kid with his nightmares. Yeah, and he scra- it scratches his belly. But he has to. Like, he gets the kid to like, chop it up with an axe, which was kind of cool too. Like the kid has to do it because it's his dream. So, like, isn't it a, it's a claymation effect too, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, man, those were the days before CG. Man. I know, and it looked better. Isn't that weird? Or you don't think so? But the snake now looks a little silly. I mean, it, you know what? It has a certain charm to it. Those old, those older effects do, uh, I guess. So, but the snake, the snake thing looks out of place in Dreamscape. Um, Number three, Storm. <laughs> oh, the Christopher Walken thing. Well, yeah, isn't that Douglas Trumbull? By the way, didn't he direct that? I, I don't know. It's the effects guy. Huh. Right. I get it mixed up with John Dykstra because they both have those names. I don't but, think Dykstra yeah. ever directed right. anything, though. Um, that's what I meant. All right, so there you go. That's uh, <laughs> that's the '80s for you. Me and Kelly Wand reminisce about the '80s. Uh, Dreamscape. What it get us to the modern age? Maybe with a favorite explosion. What is your number two pick for favorite explosion? Maybe you can give us a quote. <laughs> All right, I guess not. Oh, there <laughs> That's a no. <laughs> it's a crow. Yeah, it was it was Douglas Trumbull. I'm sorry, I was just giggling. Anyway, ah, you were looking it up. For, so I win. What do I win, Dingus? What's my prize? Uh, you win uh, an awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I like what I'm hearing. <laughs> an awesome porn moment I don't know I, I love Brainstorm because of the porn stuff in it oh yeah remember that guy loops oh. it but he almost dies because he loops his orgasm <laughs> or it's someone else's orgasm you See, don't want to you don't want to loop Kelly one you don't want to loop someone else's orgasm what if it's a woman's orgasm but you're dreaming it never mind Kelly one can you write us write up a script about that shape-shifting mummy <laughs> All right, Dingus, what is your number two pick? Let's hear a quote. John right. here too. Here, here's a little bit of dialogue from it. You ready? Mm-hmm. He's here, BRB. Cool. Uh, sounds Dingus. like Scott Well, what? no. Good. Come on, Kelly Wand, are you serious? 
Uh, Kelly Wand, come on. Imagine, okay, I know what you're thinking of is like teenage girls texting each other, but yeah. put it into a more contemporary context. Let's pretend these teenage girls have grown up and they're fighting terrorism. <laughs> Sacrifice. Oh, God, Kelly Wand, you're the worst. Kelly Wand, let's take an actress from Mama and an actress from Contagion. Uh, zero Dark Thirty. <laughs> right? No. Uh, wait. Continue. That's right. That's right. Take it away, uh, Dingus. <laughs> You're right. Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, and and so the the explosion I absolutely love. And so I I I've, I've completely departed from the ridiculous Hollywood explosions of Forrest Gump, and uh, I've gone into the uh, the the Camp Chapman attack. Um, because I, I, I'm sorry, but I love this explosion. Um, it's just dirty and dusty and ugly. And I really love that explosion. So it's the cab, the camp Chapman attack from zero dark 30. Catherine Bigelow does a couple of good ones in, uh, in Hurt Locker as well. Uh, yeah, she's definitely. Yeah. She's had some experience with pyrotechnics. Yeah. Um, now, Dingus, for the explosion itself, or you're talking about just the actual particulars of that that explosion, not not necessarily the dramatic role of Graham it. Chapman's not in that. Uh, no, I, well, I'm talking about the I'm talking about the context of it as well. But but okay. in addition to the way it's, I mean, one of the things I like about it is uh, I of course don't watch trailers before watching a movie, but looking back at it, you get to see that particular explosion in the trailer over and over again. And I like that they show it that way. They don't show this huge fireball. There's not this whole orange ball of flame that happens. It's just this dark uh, gray and brown ball of dust and dirt that shoots up from this car that happens in the Camp Chapman attack. And I really, really like the way that that particular explosion is portrayed because you get a lot of um, criticism for how Hollywood shows these types of explosions as these huge gas ball fire it's just oh that it's just this huge pyrotechnic explosion and it's orgasmic and it's so exciting but when you even even when you look at the trailer it's just this explosion of dust it just looks like this this puff ball of dust that comes out of the car and i really like that camp chapman explosion because it's 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 chilling within the context of the movie and it's it's devastating if you don't understand what's going to happen. But even if you do understand what's going to happen, because you're so at least I'm so invested in the Jessica character that it's it's just a devastating moment. And it's not gratifying or satisfying in the way a lot of, expo- you know, explosions can be really satisfying, can be a really satisfying moment. But I don't think that Camp Chapman explosion is. It's just devastating. Doesn't the first one in Zero Dark Thirty, the one that gets Guy Pierce, doesn't that have a similar look, Dingus, too, to, to just being like a bunch of dirt and not a bunch of incendiary pyrotechnical stuff? Well, you're talking about the Guy Pierce one, and then you're talking about Hurt Locker. Um, so, right, right yeah. that's what I mean. The Hurt Locker, the very first one in Hurt Locker, if I recall, also had that kind of look where it wasn't a big old fireball; it was just a bunch of dirt. Maybe I could be misremembering. No, no, you're you're absolutely right, and I might as well talk about it now. That's my number one. <laughs> Ah, rats, I'm sorry, Dingus. Wait a minute, so you picked Zero Dark Thirty and then Hurt Locker? Yeah, what's up with that? Well, here's here's why. Because because Hurt Locker, um, 
I, I just like the way these two stack up. Uh, and I, and I'm choosing them based on how I feel about them as movies rather than how I feel about them as realities. And I think that Zero Dark Thirty, that Camp Chapman explosion is just, it just feels dirty and dark. And there's there's a moment later on when the helicopter goes down when there's a huge fireball over the camp and and she kind of gives us a release. It it is sort of I don't know how to put this other than sexual terms, but that orange fireball feels like a satisfaction and a release. And there's a moment later when the when the helicopter is exploded at the end of Zero Dark Thirty where it feels like a release. Um, so, but in the Camp Chapman attack in Zero Dark Thirty, it's just this uh, ugly, dirty moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in uh, Hurt Locker, there's kind of a blending of the two. So, you—I don't know how to put this without sounding like an idiot. Um, it's slow motion. It's it's sensual. It's almost erotic, but it's also disgusting and awful. But that hurt—that first Hurt Locker explosion. Where you know there's the goats and the the, the quote I would have would have used from that is is uh, why is Eldridge running because he's taking off and and he looks at, off and Eldridge is the white guy who sees the guy with the cell phone and he starts running toward the guy with the cell phone and Guy Pierce goes why is Eldridge running and so the the explosion that happens you see the gravel rise you see the rust yeah. from that car rise up and you see that. Tom, you're right. You see the the dirt rise up, but you also see some of that beautiful orange and red and yellow flame blossom up out of that that you don't see in the Zero Dark Thirty. They're they're different explosions, but but I love the Hurt Locker explosion for a cinematic reason more than from a reality reason. Mm-hmm. And there's there 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 is a feeling of Catherine Bigelow going, okay. I'm making this independent movie about Iraq, but I'm going to do a little Hollywood. In, li- I'm just going to get a little bit of that in. So if you look at that explosion, it's beautiful in so many ways. And, but if you look at that Camp Chapman, it to me, it's just more dirty. Kelly Wan, you outed as number one. You're such a jerk. What? <laughs> I wasn't even... I didn't... Uh, it's totally your fault, Kelly Wan. I thought you guys would hate this topic and we just like brush through it, but... Oh, I totally hate it, but but I love you. Yeah, and plus, Kelly, I'm not done yet. I'm going to give it more hate and brushing through in just a little bit. Um, hmm. But first, Kelly Wan, all right, so let's go to your number two. Uh, and what is your number two pick for a favorite explosion? My number two is the Cloverfield Girl, because you have to go online to really get a good look at it, which to me is a sign of genius. Isn't that Lizzie Kaplan? Yeah. Can't believe they blew her up. So I know the I know some of the actors in Cloverfield only after having seen Cloverfield. I didn't know Ed who Walbert. she was. I didn't know who T.J. Yeah. Miller was. Uh, so, but Lizzie Kaplan is the one that blows up, isn't she? Ew. Yeah, she and she her character is like the fun, cutest one, and like the pl- most pleasant. So isn't there? Dingus can help me out here. Isn't there some joke about some great Superman joke that she makes in Cloverfield? Dingus. I don't know. <laughs> Come on. She has some line about Superman or... Dingus doesn't remember that stuff. I don't either. What, at the, at the party at the beginning? No. Uh, oh, it blows up. Hey, check out this Superman. <laughs> All right, Superman never mind. All right, you know what? I'm going to watch Cloverfield, and I'm going to quote that line to you guys, and you're going to think it is awesome. But I'm not going to be able to do it now. So I remember when the last thing they get to the army thing, and she's all wait, like she stops, like she feels like queasy. She's all, all right, never mind, I'm fine. And then that's like ten seconds before she blows up. 
And why do you say you have to go online to see it, Kelly Wand? What do you mean? To get a good look at it in slow motion, because it's it happens so fast. It's Isn't like, it just a silhouette? Or so? I'm, I'm maybe yeah. not remembering it really well. It's a silhouette, but that's even better. It's a silhouetted explosion that goes against all logic of being like a horrific, satisfying cinematic image. But it's well, PG thirteen. You can you can do terrible things to a silhouette. You can't do to a real person. Uh, Actually, is Cloverfield PG thirteen? I think so. Okay. I normally in wait. I get invade and vague all mixed up. I think I invade against. Like it's usually I. I kind of want to see. The explosion better, but mm-hmm. I think that's the one where it's okay. Because it's like, you know, I can't, I can't believe you guys can't remember the Superman line from Cloverfield. I've heard Dingus quote there. I'm sure well, I have, I'm, but I, I'm just sitting here smoking a cigarette after talking about those two movies. <laughs> Dingus, by the way, see, uh, uh, Dingus, did you see Flight? Uh, no. Why no. would I? Yeah, well, it's terrible. But the guy who played Eldridge is really good in it. He he's the co-pilot in the the scene, ah. uh, and that dude he has even I think he has like an awesome co-pilot mustache. Uh, but he's so good. At, I hated Flight as well, uh, but I really liked his name's Brian Gardy, I think uh, I really liked him in Flight. Um, I'd like Flight if it was mostly the flight and ten minutes of courtroom. Oh, uh, even the flight I hated. The actual plane crashes. He's drunk. Is he drunk while he does it? Like he's trying. No, to keep- he's not. He's just been drinking. Like it's not like they don't. That movie plays it so. You know what? It's it's Robert Zemeckis. It, it's just his normal mealy mouthed kind of uh, moralizing crap. I yeah, mean, that's I, the thing. Is like, but he he picks like such a weird series of events that you don't even know what the moral is because it's like, yeah. all right, this guy did a corkscrew and he saved some people, but he drank before. It's like, wait, what's that based on? Like, what? Here you go, Kelly Wan. <laughs> flight, <laughs> flight has the same. Yeah, <laughs> it has the same character arc as Identity Thief. Uh, okay. Wait, <laughs> Batemans or the Identity Thief? The Joseph McCarthy's miscarriage. <laughs> the, the point is, you can go to prison and be redeemed. That's that's how flight and identity thief work. Spoiler: like <laughs> so. priest, redeem the redeemed in identity thief. Are you aware of Garfield? <laughs> Think it's, how can you? And you can't remember a line about Superman from Cloverfield. Garfield. Oh, I like that you guys liked Identity Thief, and then you went, "Oh God, you see the preview for that." Melissa McCarthy movie, The Heat. Yeah. Oh, it looks so stupid. It's like, wait, you just sat through Identity Thief for nine minutes. And went, That's great. Perfect for January or February, whatever fucking month. And, Kelly Watt, if you don't see the difference between Identity Thief and the trailer for Heat, I don't, I, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell Oh, Kelly Wand. They remade it. It's Val Kilmer and Al Pacino. It's what. <sighs> This is how I feel. This is how Dingus must feel listening to me talk about uh, Last Exorcism Part 2. <laughs> That's how, All right. we, how will we listen to Dingus talk about Master to Hurt Locker. <laughs> All right. Wait a minute. Here you go. So HUD says, hey, maybe it erupted from an ocean trench, you know, or a crevice. It's just a theory. For all we know, it's from another planet, and it flew here. And Marlena Diamond says, like Superman? And HUD says, yeah, exactly. Like, wait, you know who Superman is? Uh, that's not good. Remember that scene? You know what? It's good with Lizzie Kaplan and T.J. Miller doing it. I can't do it justice. You know who Superman is? Who the fuck does it know? I mean... That's the joke, Kelly Wan. You just explained the joke. Uh... Okay. You know what? It's the, I can't. I'm get watch it on YouTube. 
find the Superman line. I'm sure it's famous. I'm sure people quote it. Normal people remember it, and they post it on YouTube, and it'll have hundreds of thousands of hits, and you jokers can enjoy it there. So there. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yeah. All right. Here's did, my number. What did she say after that? What a weird thing to say. Do you know who Superman is? Yeah, and that's what she says. She's making fun of him. I, you know what? I'd have to see it again. I can't. I can't explain the particulars. <laughs> I don't know who he is. That got left on the cutting room floor, Dingus. All right. Anyway, here's my number one pick. Uh, <laughs> so unlike scanners, this, this is an explosion where it's the same thing as scanners, but like, like you hear that somebody has a bomb in her head and that it's going to go off. But unlike scanners, it doesn't make her head pop. This is the little oh. micro explosion inside Carrie Russell's head in the beginning of Mission Impossible 3. Uh, where, because you, you've seen, like, scanners, your head blows up. There's, is it Battle Royale where they put the collars on the kids and they blow up their heads if they, if they, uh, after a certain time limit? I forget, but there's some movie, oh, oh, no, Deadlocked with, uh, with Rutger Hauer and Mimi Rogers. Is that right? Where they have little collars that blow up their heads? No? Am I the only one who remembers this? At any rate. No, no, that's right. I remember that. It was like an HBO movie. That was a staple. Yeah. No, that was, come on, that was a major theatrical release. Everybody, no. yeah. Uh, but at any rate, we've seen stuff where people's heads explode. So when J.J. Abrams does Mission Impossible 3... <laughs> I love that line. We've seen stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and here's another one, by the way. Inside the actor's studio with James Lipton. <laughs> Finally, here's an explosion we don't see. Uh, in, in, in Escape from New York, they put the little micro-bombs in Snake Plissken's jugular, and it's going to blow up his jugular. And in, 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 Not Eli Wallach. Who's the guy who plays the uh, his handler in Escape from New York? Who is that, Kelly Wand? Eli, no, no, no. Lee Van Cleef. No, Eli, Eli Cleef. No. Lee, Some, Lee, Lee Van Cleef. Cleef. Lee Vaughn. You said Lee Vaughn. It's Lee Van Cleef. Right, exactly. One of them's ugly, one of them's bad. <laughs> so he's explaining how the little bombs in his jugular pop, and he just does a little gesture with his hands, and it, it creates just enough of an image that you're like, ew, that's going to be gross, and maybe we'll see it, maybe we won't. We don't get to see it there. But J.J. Abrams is going to show us how these little micro bombs affect you when they blow up, and it's that, that scene where Carrie Russell's goes off, and she just jerks her head to one side, and then on her dead body, like one of her eyeballs, is is weirdly skewed up and it looks really grotesque it's awesome yeah yeah exactly it's like it is it's like she just has this violent stroke that lasts a half a second and then she's gone um, and it was right as she was about to get saved or well, it was like oh that was great we got out of there yay yeah and they're they're warming up the little uh EKG machine or whatever the the defibrillator to to short circuit it or whatever and four seconds short of it uh it the bomb goes off and and we lose Carrie Russell uh so I love that little explosion even though you don't get to see it it's deep inside of her head or whatever um but it it was a pretty chilling scene so there's my number one pick and because like I said we've seen people's heads explode we haven't seen it like this before we haven't not seen an explosion before that happened inside a CG. Uh, this is your worst since Obi Wan Kenobi's hand. Kelly Wood, come on, that's an well, you, have a, you have a head exploding and a silhouette exploding. You get so, to yeah. see those. You see the silhouette exploding. An orange fireball. Give he it has your- an eyeball that contorts. Well, all right, Kelly Wan. Here's how dare you. He has some sort of actual explosion going on. Now, what's the explosion on what's on film? What's exploding? Uh, Wahlberg's, uh, it's just Wahlberg. He's one. It's like Cher. 
but continue. Well, Kelly Wand, let's hear what your number one is, and let's see. Uh, What's your number one pick for a best explosion? Let's see. Uh, best. The, let's see who has the best top pick for an explosion. So far, mine for Mission Impossible 3, Dingus is for Hurt Locker. What do you have to rival those two? Uh, the gremlin that gets turned into guacamole in the microwave. He got us, Dingus. Oh, boy. Oh, jeez. Okay, I'll eat tortilla chips. All right, Kelly Wand, what do the... What? Sorry, what? What do the readers have for us this this week? Oh my God! You know, it's like the most entries of any topic ever, and that I've ever picked ever. Like mm-hmm. so for any topic. So what's that tell you? Uh, that it's playing to the crowd. <laughs> Lowest common denominator. Is that what you're trying to say, Chick? I'm not saying anything about our listeners. I love them all. <sighs> Your number one is a farce. And an abomination and needs an exorcism from the podcast. <laughs> Fred and Lynn write, What's up, Deuterinos? Number three, uh, Duck, you sucker, a fistful of dynamite, the train explosion? Question mark. <laughs> I didn't see that movie, so I thought Tom would... What's the movie? Duck, you sucker, a fistful of dynamite. That's that the name of the movie? movie? Yeah. Okay. Never okay. heard of that. Uh, All right. Well, it's I've heard of I'm going to get you, you sucker. You, you um, could have stopped at any point when you were talking. Could have been duck, you, <laughs> sucker. I didn't know what the name of the movie was. Yeah. And then it ends with Fistful of Dynamite, which almost sounds like something we saw. Like it's a real Western. Never mind. Predator, Alien Self Destruction. Mm. I don't remember seeing that. No, it's like a big background thing. It lights up the forest. Like John McTiernan definitely did some like lighting stuff in the woods. And Is there a ring? I don't know if it has a parallax nexus or not. <laughs> I like you. Uh, Apocalypse Now, the napalm run. That's what I thought of when Dingus talked about Forrest Gump. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you were thinking. Well, I was I was wanting to say, oh, they they you know the way they burn the Vietnamese meadows in Apocalypse Now. That's that's the model for that stuff. Yeah, that's, uh... that's Robert Zemeckis's Apocalypse Now, <laughs> and flight is his Airport seventy five. Honorable mention: the car demon fire. Tom, what happened? Ah, yeah. I remember reading the novelization of the car. I think before I saw the movie, because I wasn't my I don't think my mom would let me see the movie, and I read the novelization, <laughs> and in the novel. In the novelization, they bury the car under, like, the, the town drunk happens to have a lot of dynamite, so they get, <laughs> so it seems like a good idea. It's, it's true. It's true. They recruit the town drunk because he has all this dynamite. I think it's his, and they're going to use it to bury the car out in a canyon. Uh, I think it's his. So, so they go out and they, they set off the dynamite when the car is in the canyon, and it buries the car, and the car blows up. And in the book, they describe how they see a demon face in the flames. And Lord knows, I have watched that movie a bazillion times trying to see, is there a demon face in there? And I can't really tell. It just looks like fire to me. So apparently there is a demon face, but it must be like one of those pictures you stare at and your eyes unfocus and you see a unicorn. I think the end of the car is like that for me where I can't see the demon face. He probably for just forgot to do it or just went, yeah, it's de- so you can like he just convinced the crew. Yeah, it's there. I said, well, the- obviously, exactly the- right. So who Fred and who who picked this one? Kelly Wand is runner uh, up. Fred and Lynn. Obviously, find Fred. Well, obviously, Fred saw it and I didn't, so I'm jealous. Or he was talking about the book. Anyway. Could be exactly. Tom, what's your favorite tagline from that movie? What evil drives the car? Very, very well done. <laughs> 
Is that the town drunk? <laughs> the tagline is, is what evil drives the car? And you can read that many different ways. All of them are fun. What evil drives the car? Kelly Wan, we've been there and we've done that. Yes, I've spent I've spent a lot of time with my friends exploring those various ones. You should have come over and joined us. You would have enjoyed it. What evil drives the P.S. Here's a three by three for you guys. Best spit take in a movie. Not sure if you've done something like that before. Okay, I got my next topic picked. <laughs> Paul Weimer writes, "I'll try to give three real explosions this time out." Does he write it with that tone of voice too, Kelly Wand? Uh, with asterisks and bold. Old man, my oh, <laughs> he always picks movies that I know are going to make Tom cringe. Is what I like about. Paul Weimer's choices. Uh, he here is number three. He picks red. The confrontation between a rocket launched missile launched at John Malkovich and the single bullet he shoots at it. I kind of remember liking that part too. Tom, thoughts? I was hoping he was talking about the Brian Cox movie where his dog gets killed. I was hoping he was talking about Christoph Koslowski movie. I thought he was talking about the first third of Red, White, and Blue that Tom told me to see. It's one did, movie. Did you see it? No, I have it downloaded. I mean, I got it off. I mean, I yeah, I bought it off Netflix, Canada. <laughs> Netflix. 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 To be or not to be, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, Tom's favorite, the explosion that drives the plot of the movie, that destroys the Klingon homeworld's moon, Tom. Whoa, I did not know their moon got exploded. That's bad. That's terrible news. Oh, it might be Praxis. Is it a Praxis? Praxis. It's a Praxis ring parallax. It's Praxis. Thank We're not you. talking about the game. We're talking about Praxis. <laughs> Get it it is the Latin word. Shut your mouth. <laughs> Little Iverson. Complete with a devastating shockwave or parallax horizon that leads the Klingons to seek peace with the Federation. What? Now you remember it, Tom. <laughs> it's more... That now, now you remember the explosion because there's that shockwave that leads the Klingons to seek peace. Tom, number That's one, lovely moment in Federation history. Yes, when, when they made peace with the Klingons, I love that. <laughs> but in the prequel retcon, it. Did I tell you about once I was at a bar playing one of those little trivia things, and one of the questions is, "What race is uh, is Spock?" Um, and you know there were all the various answers. I actually picked. No joke, I actually picked Romulan. That's how little I know about Star Trek, because I got wrong what race is Spock. He's two races, so it probably just said peanut butter and chocolate. Well, I know that one of those two races is not Romulan. I now know that, so there you go. I was playing one of those trivia games at Fridays, and it was like, what what year was this, like, something to do with the space program. And I go, 1956, and I ask my friends which one, and anyone goes, oh, it's 1953. That's the year Sputnik. That's the year the world changed. 1953. And then it was, it was like 1957. I don't understand your anecdote. <laughs> Houston, we have a problem. Apollo 13, not the biggest explosion but an important and reasonably well-depicted one as compared to the real-life event that propels the plot of the movie. I don't remember any explosions in Apollo 13. That, is a, that is a great follow-up to the Star Trek explosion. Yeah. You know, when all the oxygen gets vented into space. They are, uh, they, that's when they, when they bleed Atmo. That's what that's called. Bleeding Atmo. 
All right. Robert Armitage, number three, Caddyshack. If you think Bill Murray went too far, pop a few quarters in No Good Gophers and tell me what you'd do with a pile of plastic explosives. I don't remember seeing that one either. But Tom, Scanners, Benchmark for Exploding Heads, Ghostbusters, I like to think there was a man with a giant graham cracker and chocolate bar in New York. It's <laughs> stick puff marshmallow man exploded. With an honorable mention for real genius, an explosion of popcorn, Tom. Mm-hmm. Joe Johnson. Hey, guys, long-time listener, first-time writer. I pretty The I'm Joe Johnson? The wow. director of Rocketeer? No, that's Johnston. Oh, oh okay. Z, I think. It's Johnston's. First-time writer, I predict that Tom will try to break the topic by choosing only explosions of anger. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? We had one of those on the podcast already from Dingus when we were talking about how much we loved Last Exorcism Part 2. So there. There (laughs) That would be be my number four pick if if this was a three-by-four. Dingus got mad and exploded with anger, and then there was a ring of anger later. <laughs> there was a Dingus had a praxis ring er- praxis. emanating from him. Yes, <laughs> it kept radiating. Uh, well, Dingus will go the other direction and stick to explosions of laughter. <laughs> I don't make the cut in his predictions. Anyway, the role for my list was to stick with explosions that are used in a humorous context. Let's start with number three, the quote, memo, four pounds of C4 may be a bit excessive. From Tremors to Aftershocks. Mm. Yeah, you see that one? I've seen all the Tremors movies, and they get worse and worse. Aftershocks is an appropriate title, then, isn't it? Joe Johnson's word for it is inoffensive, (laughs) which sounds like... I guess a compliment, a very backhanded, an inoffensive sequel that sees Fred Ward and Michael Gross. Wait, the uh, Family Ties guy? Yeah, and Re- yeah. that's one of the problems with Tremors 2 is that Reba McIntyre is not in it. They bring back the wrong characters. They bring back the wrong characters, and Michael Gross ends up being the through line for all the Tremors movies. And I think there was even a, a short-lived series, and I'm pretty sure Michael Gross was on board for that. So, so the only cast member who endured through the, the various the, the succeeding Tremors is Michael Gross, and he's the exact wrong guy to carry forward. Yeah. Is there an arc? Like by the end, is he is he less like the guy from Police Academy who like shoots things? Uh, I uh, yes, Kelly. Become a tremor, <laughs> like the guy in Dune. Uh, they yeah, return to yeah. fight graboids. Is that what they're called? The worms south of the border. In the final confrontation, Earl tosses a bomb into Bert's truck, only to learn there might be too much ordnance in there. Never mind, just run, Tom. Yes. Nothing. Coming in at number two, here's a line. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. This is the classic line from the original Italian job, which I haven't seen. Tom, have you seen it? Michael Caine, isn't uh-huh. it? It's a great ending, too. Yep. Charlie Croker's plotting a huge gold heist. One of his crew gets a little too liberal with the nitro, destroying an entire armored car rather than simply opening it up. That's a famous uh, Michael Caine quote, too, isn't it? When people do their Michael Caine impressions, don't they say, you're only yeah. supposed to blow the bloody <laughs> doors off? Yeah. No, you're not doing it right. It's very much like the perfect. That's a very good, like, drunk person doing a Michael Caine impression. Uh, yeah, well, it's very, I knew you were going to do it. I knew you were going to say that. That's deadly more. Uh, <laughs> that, was, that did have some nice Arthur in it, yeah. Yeah, 
cackling. It's very much more in, in the back of your throat. I mean, Russell Brand. <laughs> What's he, what did Michael Caine say in Jaws the Revenge when Lorraine Gary drove the boat into the shark's face? He said, smile, did, you son of a... <laughs> uh, did, what, what, why, why is my shirt dry? <laughs> yeah, he crashes a plane. Into the water. Peebles in that too, or and then he dies, but then he get, doesn't die because his character is so popular. Okay, Shark Croker. Uh, then we have number one. Here's just a quote from it. Oh my God! Look at all the junk food. You actually eat this? Ghostbusters. Tom. What, what am I, what, yes. Why are you Why are you querying me after every entry? Well, because after the car. <laughs> I don't know, because you said something after one of them, and then I thought... Oh, he's never he's, seen he's, any of these movies. Ghostbusters, I thought he, he's only seen Last Exorcism Part 5. It's like, they have a funny story about it. Uh, man on Fire, maybe this one isn't funny, haha, but sticking plastic explosive with man's ass is a pretty clever negotiation tool. I'm sure Kelly would approve. Keep up the fine work, Joe13. See, look, everyone tars me with that brush, Tom. Which brush? The the ass bomb brush? Yeah. Is that my legacy? <laughs> that, by the way, is my favorite Robert Ludlum novel. <laughs> I thought the one where Jerry <laughs> rebooted that franchise was a huge disappointment. <laughs> mm. Jeff Sweet writes, Dingus. Not Tom. Hey there, guys. These are my picks for the week. Thin red line, Woody Harrelson accidentally pulls the pin from a grenade. Oh, now he's making me feel bad. Oh, that is the ass bomb brush. <laughs> yeah. Fight Club, last scene of the film. Oh, see, that was... That technically movie. is multiple explosions, I would point yeah. out. Yeah. See? Oh, actually, in the Mission Impossible, that's like three different explosions, but they're micro-explosions. So Zero they only dark. count as one, because they're so small. <sighs> Zero Dark Thirty, the bombing of the Islamabad Marriott. Tom? Because you're kind of inside that explosion. You don't really get to see it like you see the Camp Chapman explosion. Um, but great moment, yeah. You don't get to see the raising, I mean, Mission Impossible one. You see the effects of it. I mean, what do you want to see? You want to you want to go in. It's sort of like in David O. Russell's Three Kings, where you go into Mark Wahlberg's body when he gets shot. You want J.J. Mm. Abrams to do that in Mission Impossible Three. You want to go into Carrie Russell's cranium to see the explosion, Kelly Wand. That's ridiculous. All right, you win. <laughs> Dear, oh, this is David Lessonberry. See, everyone has cooler names than me. I'm sick of it. No offense, David Lessonberry. Dear gang. Uh, without further ado, Raising Arizona, number three, High Dot McDonahue pulls the pin on the grenade, adorning the vest of the lone biker of the apocalypse. This is a humorous version of what Woody Harrelson did in Thin Red Line. Now, that was ass-centric, and the uh, biker was non-ass-centric. What about when Kate, uh, what's her name, dadgummit, the underworld, Kate Beckinsale pulls... The pin from the grenade and throws the pin. <laughs> That's a great explosion with a grenade. Did she do that in the movie? So we had someone uh, explain it to us, and then I saw it. What's happening is she punches her fists. She's holding grenades, and she punches her fists into, 
I don't know, what is she fighting there, a lycanthrop or something? And then she pulls her hands out, and they're each holding a grenade. And then she pulls her hands out, holding only the rings. So it's sort of like rubbing salt in the wound when she then throws the ring at the thing that's about but to But for the trailer, up. they just confusingly show that part. So. <laughs> right. She's just throwing a grenade pin. And I you're found like, you're, you. Yeah, and you're like, you're doing it wrong, Kate. That's not how those work. But when you see the movie, you see that there's a reason for it. Yeah. So, so trailers are nonsensical. Trailers are misleading. They're nonsensical. Don't watch them. Yeah. Uh, number two, Star Wars. And then in parentheses, he wrote 1977. <laughs> he didn't do that with the other two movies. But uh, as opposed to the unnecessary special edition, the original explosions marking the destruction of Alderaan and the first Death Star looked like what they really were, scale models packed with about a thousand ladyfingers. <laughs> Wait a minute. Ladyfingers? Is that what you call those little firecrackers? I thought they were cookies. What? Ladyfingers? Well, ladyfingers are those. Uh, yeah, they're those, what Kelly Wan said. Those little cookie things. But I, I presume he's talking about those little thin fireworks. I'd, if people called them ladyfingers, I missed out on hanging out with those people. That's a cool name for them. Uh, I would. I would think of it more as rather than being packed with a thousand ladyfingers, being packed with a hundred uh, black cats. What did you call those? Uh, what do you call those? Cats? It, M80s. Yeah, but I, I think ladyfingers is being part of tiramisu. What, what exactly, right. Maybe. It's those little cookies that you put in tiramisu. But I presume he's talking about the little fireworks. Um, were black cats, wasn't that a kind of firework? Or do they yeah, definitely. That? Black okay. cats almost blew my fingers off one time. Yeah, see, Dingus? Don't they blew his lady fingers off. <laughs> oh. All right, Kelly, well, we're distracting from the readers. Uh, uh, who? I remember, so, hold yes. on, I want to distract more. Yes, Kelly Wand. I remember the best Star Wars explosion being the last TIE fighter that they blow up before they go to Yavin and it's like a soup it like blows up lo- like huger than the Death Star it just goes on for like nine hours and then Luke's like yeah we're awesome and then Leah's like yeah they wanted us to leave like she totally ruins it like, she's like yeah they're they're tracking us we're, they know we're going to the rebel base don't get excited and then they're all what and she's all they only sent three ships and then you could have sent a million and then I thought wait why they just send three why they send none Number one, top secret. During a stirring chase scene near the climax of the film. <laughs> is, it, is it Yavin? Yeah, Yavin 4. <laughs> Don't bring up the Pinto or I'll punk you. If they're tracking him, why don't they just go somewhere else and then wait for the heat to die? Never mind. A truck full of East Germans slash Nazis is forced to take break for Ford Pinto. So who does Dingus have to punk, Kelly Wand? Who wrote this one? Matthew uh, Lessonberry? Lessonberry. All right, Dingus, get get to punkin'. Uh, I love this. Well done. Although the villains manage to break in time, the driver eases off the brakes after stopping. The truck rolls forward an inch and nudges the pinno, triggering a massive explosion. Cheesy but funny. We did in The Simpsons, too, I think. Like a guy stops for a rock. Uh, my first car was a Ford Pinto. I remember having to take it in to the dealer to get the gas tank reinforced. And I still drove it around, so there. Yeah. I, I, I learned to drive on a driving range where they were all powder blue Ford Pintos. What's a we driving range? A driving range is where you play golf, dingus. Or shoot. Uh, yeah, well, not in Virginia. We, we actually had driver's ed on a range at our high school. There was a huge parking lot with all these great... Uh, paintings not paintings but th- these huge like traffic 
things all over the parking lot, and then we had this fleet of powder blue little Pintos that we all drove to learn how to drive cars. Why? Because that's the hardest car to learn on, or the easiest car? The hardest car. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because it was a good way to weed out the but Those were the donations that the driving <laughs> people got most of. I, I don't know why we all had four Pintos. I don't know, but uh, I, I guess if we had ever actually bumped curbs or bumped bumpers, uh, we would have all exploded. I learned how to drive on an explosion. Honorable mention, breaking the topic department, any minor accident or gasoline leak in any movie that results in the massive explosion of a motor vehicle. It's fortunate in this case that the movies aren't like real life. Otherwise, all of us would have lost at least one loved one to a fiery, tragic death from a minor fender bender. So a little safety tip. Sincerely, and they didn't sign it. But I remember liking the uh, Jump Street explosion gag where nothing exploded. So chickens or something at the end. <laughs> yeah, that was good. And the last thing you see is the am- the ampersand. I remember thinking that was really funny for some reason. Like it was writerly. Like ampersand explosion. No one's list. Soren Hugland. Am I saying that right, Tom? Uh, uh, I like to go Soren Hugland. Soren Hugland. It's more fun. And if he doesn't mind us enjoying his umlauts, uh, that's a fun way to do it. This was a fun topic, Tom, although my list wound up being filled with pretty obvious selections. Three Children of Men. This is a great one. That's a great yeah, pick. Good, ah, I like that. I love ah, that one. If it's, if it's the first one, yeah. Yeah, it is. I instantly knew what he meant. The opening terrorist attack, he took me completely by surprise when I first saw it and sets the tone for the rest of the movie. Plus, how gruesome was that woman walking out carrying her arm? I know. Isn't that great? That's great. That's a good one, yeah. The Matrix, this was a good one, too, I thought. Helicopter crashing into the building, causing that weird rippling effect as the glass explodes. It's a great finish for the action scene while simultaneously underlining the unreality of the Matrix. The Dark Knight, the misfiring explosions at the hospital, just for how Ledger stays in character, despite the fact that it wasn't planned. Yeah, it oh, just... come on. Really? What? Seriously? Isn't Seriously, like... Soren Hoogland? Wait, <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? I think that's just one of those, like, uh, like sort of apocryphal urban legend Hollywood stories like like in uh, Marathon Man where uh, Laurence Olivier says to Dustin Hoffman I call it acting that whole thing where Dustin Hoffman you know or, or oh here's one uh, Harrison Ford improvising the, the shot of the, the Arabian sword flinging dude uh, whatever that was in India, I guess it was in Arabian, where he's he's improvising shooting the sword flinging dude in Raiders of the Lost Ark because he had to use the restroom or whatever. I think it's one of those. Please come on, pyrotechnics hey, like that. I, I refuse to believe the gag in Dark Knight, and I love this by the way, is that the Joker's stuff doesn't work. That it's that it's low tech. It's not necessarily reliable. So he's fiddling around with the explosion with the little trigger thing, and you see the the half-assed explosion go off behind him, and he's kind of shrugging and triggering it, and then you get the really big Hollywood money shot explosion. Uh, I refuse to believe that that, that was not planned. That I that think you're right exactly in that as one. Because the camera's positioned where it's supposed to be for the whole thing. And so you'd think if something was going wrong... I don't know. I agree with you on that. I don't, yeah, I don't buy that that's any improv or that that's something not going right. I, I believe that's how that was written. It's part and parcel of the Joker's character and the narrative. I, I'm just not buying this idea. But Harrison Ford had dysentery or something, so that one was real. Whatever. <laughs> this 
script. Also, they, also, yeah. Kelly Wan, did you know that Robert Shaw improvised the USS Indianapolis speech in Jaws? <laughs> I know his character lived, and he improvised because he fell. He slipped down towards the shark, and so he was bleeding from the gums by chance. Anyway, Kelly Wan, did you know that Harrison Ford improvised? I know when Carrie Fisher says she loves him. Did you know that Kelly Wan? That was improv. Nobody on the set expected that. He's a better writer than Lucas. Oh, very good, Kelly Wand. Honorable mention by Surin Hoogland to Hawkeye's arrow exploding in Loki's smug face in the Avengers. I don't remember that. What? <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> Might have been see? a different movie. Yeah, that must be the the cut they got to see. In- I only remember Hulk smashing Loki. Like that's the only thing I I remember about the Avengers. No, there there is a moment where uh, where Loki catches the arrow and right. he's like, "Haha, I caught the arrow," and then it does explode. Oh. And then he has, like, charred uh, face. Well, no, no, there's no consequences. It's just funny. Oh. Hmm. Dave McLeod writes, Hey, guys, love the podcast. Till tonight, probably. Here's my list of three favorite or best explosions. Number three, The Incredible Hulk. Louis Leterrier doesn't give us a clear view of the Hulk until halfway through this underrated superhero movie when the Hulk explodes out of a glass tunnel. Special effects always date quickly, but it's a nice climax reveal the film spends 50 minutes building up to. With that fight with the army? Is that what he's talking about? Tom? <laughs> uh, see, I picked this topic because I, think, I go, no one's going to have much to write about it because it's just explosions, and then look what happens. It's an explosion of readers and ladyfingers. Number two, Cloud Atlas. Proposition, I fall in love with Louisa Ray, 60s Tom Hanks, has his monologue headed for him by a bomb on his plane. A character exploding moments after falling in love is poignant, bittersweet, and a little clumsy, but I liked it. The uh, last, the final destination exploding plane was better. Yeah. And twice. MacGruber. I almost picked a MacGruber one. Just let me do the talking. I think Dingus alluded to this at the end of last week, so maybe this has been scooped. My favorite explosion is when MacGruber explodes inside of Kristen Wiig. <laughs> the mid-coidal roar. I'm going to friggin' explode inside you. I'm going to shoot. Because yeah, Dingus, Dingus really will not shut up about MacGruber. <laughs> Neither was Shadowcat. Ah. <laughs> uh, final one. Aaron Vaughn. Dear quarter to three, what an explosive topic, Tom. There was so much to choose from that I had no trouble coming up with a theme. My role was to find explosions that were entertaining and real, since they can be boring so often. Tom. Number three, Jump Street, huh? which I ruined for him, sorry. Channing Tatum and Jonah Hiller in costume. Tease for minutes on it with all kinds of wreckage that a Lester Michael Bay would have gleefully blown up, but no, almost nothing ever after two great crashes, then truck full of chickens. Number two, Bad Boys 2. Speaking of Michael Bay's best explosion was when that iguana found a rogue mine and took one for the team, by which I mean the audience. What? There's an iguana explosion in Bad Boys 2, Tom? <laughs> Apparently, yes. I like your answer. Number one, a Star Wars. I mean, a Star Wars. A Star Wars. New Hopes. 1977. We waited the whole movie to watch the collapse of the Empire. And it paid off when that exposed air vent the Death Star took a direct hit. <laughs> Is that... Tom, do you remember that when you were watching Star Wars? How you were waiting the whole movie? Come on! Fucking collapse! 
Star Wars exploded into pop culture and then imploded when episode one came out. That's my favorite implosion. Uh, I also, oh, it's me, not him, by the way. I also like how instantaneously the entire Death Star pops into a sun-sized firework. I have it's a, packed uh, with a thousand lady fingers. A thousand lady fingers. <laughs> I feel, I feel as if a thousand lady figures have exploded. So, crying out. Uh, yeah, how come nobody remembers the explosion of Alderaan? Come on. How, how devastating should that have been? In stomach exploding with c- citric acid when he felt it. Somebody um, did mention Alderaan, didn't Fred and Lynn? Somebody did. Yeah. But I don't think they talked about a thousand lady figures. <laughs> See, I, I kind of went with explosions that were kind of fun that I liked watching. So that's yeah, like like. People exploding from yeah, behind like a sheet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the g- girls that I liked enjoying watching in the movie. <laughs> I have a runner-up, just one, adds Aaron Vaughn. In Tropic Thunder, when the director steps on a landmine right out of the helicopters. Didn't see that one coming. That's not a moon, Aaron. Yeah, I like that one, too. But my favorite landmine explosion is Dead Presidents, like Guy Turns Around. Isn't there one of those in From Hell, Tom? Couldn't tell you. I've not seen that in forever. What are your runner-ups? That's all the listener ones. Uh, let's see. We Dingus and I recently saw a movie, a really cool movie called The Liability, which has one of those scenes where somebody is not looking at an explosion, like it's happening behind him. And for the most part, that happens because uh, somebody is way too cool to look at the explosion. Uh, in The Liability, there's an explosion behind a dude while he's contemplating what he's going to do next. Like, there's a reason, and the reason is what he's looking at in his hands, that he doesn't look at the the explosion. Uh, And the director uses that to very good effect in the liability. Is that a good movie? Yeah, I loved it. Oh, it's so good. you got to see it. Seriously, really, watch the liability. It's really good. That or Red, White, and Blue first? Uh, Both. Simultaneously. Back to, yeah. (laughs) And back. One over the other, Kelly Wand. Yeah. I only, my only runners up were uh, in Heather's, uh, kind of like at the end where Christian Slater blows up, or like he's about to blow up, and then when it runs out, it puts a cigarette in her mouth. She like lights her cigarette off the explosion, or am I misremembering that? I think that's a cool way to break up with someone. <laughs> uh, oh, and also the chick, and it turns into a blueberry in uh, Willy Wonka, the Chocolate Factory, when she blows what? up. Isn't that that gust of... That Gustav dude, doesn't he? Oh, no, he goes up the chocolate. Augustus Clue. Yeah, he implodes. We're talking about Violet Beauregard. Yeah, Violet Beauregard, not Vruk Salt. Man, look at you guys. Right. Those two chicks were fighting over Charlie in the 71 or 71 one. They liked the actor who played him. And then it was like, that's why they look bummed out in the boat scene. I think I read somewhere. Because hmm. they were both like. There's that's like a vibe. On that's set. totally that's totally an urban legend. He had dysentery, and they were like, "Why don't we just blow up the blueberry with those ladyfinger blueberries?" Uh, Dingus, any runners up from you for explosions? Uh, there's a there's a great explosion in in a little movie that I really like called Shock to the System, um, where Poppy Boo, right? Michael Caine. Yeah, Michael Caine sets up this explosion for this guy on a boat where he he makes this gas explosion and he sets up the strike anywhere matches on the little <laughs> boat's door so that when when the guy opens the door it strikes the matches and it blows up the it's one of those gas explosions that I really love hey, on a boat. 
I just saw that in uh, the remake of The Hills Have Eyes, the Alexander Aja movie. They do the same thing at the end of Hills Have Eyes. They tape, they open the gas in the trailer, and they tape those Strike Anywhere matches to right. the bottom yeah. of a sliding door. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I like that in Shock to the System. Yeah. And and uh, and and you have Michael Caine going. I just really like that. I love that movie, and I haven't seen it in a long time. And then there's this weird – well, my favorite Star Wars one, you know, sorry to bring up Star Wars again, but beyond all the ridiculous Death Star things, I really like when the uh, when the satellite array on the moon goes blowing up, uh, and it's just such a great explosion, but it doesn't – affect anybody in the area at all it like it blows up the entire all the foliage all over everywhere but none of the rebels are harmed at all yeah i love the way that satellite dish just just i love that explosion on andor well i do have to say i'm really disappointed that nobody picked the explosion of the space station the international space station from armageddon (laughs) why would nobody does it blow up was Boy, it, does it blow up. It blows up like you wouldn't believe, Kelly Wand. Uh, Come on, does it blow up? Everything in Armageddon blows up. There's not a single thing in that movie other than planet Earth that doesn't blow up. Yeah, the International Space Station, under the Peter Stormari is in charge of it. They, they screw up while they're refueling, and the whole thing blows up like crazy. Yeah, they blow up a space shuttle at the opening of that movie. The space shuttle gets hit by a meteorite fragment. It's an explosion the size of Texas. Mm, bigger. Yeah. Well, that makes me think of the flying wing in Raiders yeah. of the Lost Ark. That's a great explosion. The where the the so the propeller. Yeah, where after the propeller that 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 plane, which I think they called the flying wing, when the the gas reaches the flame and that whole thing explodes. I love that explosion. Yeah. I like the explosion where it's in the background. It just goes Jones, like oh, you and your fucking explosion. Like you don't even know what's exploding, and it doesn't matter. It's like that's <laughs> that, that's the explosion because he's uh, he's like oh, five miles over and he goes Jones. Oh, I thought it was a different one. All right. No, it's the same one. I'm I'm going Tom. Uh, kid Dick is right. Tom, by the way, he originally <laughs> was explosion, but he changed. It. <laughs> All right, well, you guys ready for next week's three by three? This is a simple one. I don't think it needs any elaboration. Uh, next week. What I want from you guys are your three favorite. And Kelly Wan, there will be no questions allowed. So don't even ask me, does such and such work? What, what I want? Nope. The answer is yes, but I will not be answering. No questions. I will not be fielding any questions. Uh, I want your three favorite wardrobe malfunctions. Uh, I like it. Do with that as you will. Now, if you're listening and you can think of favorite wardrobe malfunctions, keep in mind you don't have to send in three. You can if you like. We enjoy that. That's what we task ourselves to do over the course of the week is to think up three. Send them to 3 by 3 at quarter to 3com That's the number three, the letter X, the number three, at, and then you spell out quarter to 3com We will read your choices uh, on the air. We look forward to hearing from you. Uh, also, next week, see, what's it actually called, Kelly Wand? The Great Oz Powerful is awesome. Oz? Yeah. Yeah, Oz the Great and Powerful. Or Oz the Great. It's not the Great and Powerful Oz. It's Oz colon the Great and Powerful? Yeah. Or one of those. All right. Whatever. It's got Oz in the title. (laughs) You should be able to find it at your local theater. But it's not the one about prison from HBO. (laughs) Yeah, don't don't rent that. (laughs) Although there are similarities. Uh, So see that and join us for that next week, as well as our discussion of our favorite, favorite wardrobe malfunctions. I am Tom Chick. I've been joined by Christian Muldoon. It's Christian Morosky. 
and Kelly Wand. Does Narnia count as a wardrobe malfunction? <laughs> oh. Oh, 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 oh. Huh. <laughs> this is for Dingus, by the way. This song is for Dingus. <laughs> Wait, why? You'll see. Dingus, let me know when you recognize this, and if you don't recognize it, you've got work to do. I recognize it, but from what? Let's see. I just saw it. Dingus, do you know it yet? No, what is it? Is it from the Seriously, first? Seriously, come on. It's from the first. No, it's, voice my belly song. No, it's the movie. It's the song after the second one, after Last Tusker System Part Two. One of the main reasons I loved the movie. I love this song. Yeah. Just heard it an hour ago, and you already found it. Candle, candle, all remember it. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a Canadian folk group called. It's a Canadian folk group called uh, Timber Timber. Um, and yeah, I just went to the U- I went to YouTube and typed in the name of the song, which is Demon Host. Uh, it's from their third album. So here it is. That is a pretty Dingus, does this make love? Does this make you love Last Exorcism Part Yeah, Now you get it, Dingus. <laughs> it makes love to me. Is that what you were going to say? I'm going to take that as a no. That's sad. Ah. Mm-hmm. Oh. oh. What's this song called, Tom? A demon host. Get it? <laughs> Wait, is that what the guy would have given her for communion in the evil church? Jason Siegel, you mean? Yeah, Jason Siegel. Tapped into my fears. Dear Kelly, I've decided you're not real. <laughs> this podcast was not canon. <laughs>